everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Gridkeeper, a D&D podcast. This episode, I am joined with the one and only Cubos Games. Please, feel free to introduce yourself. <clears throat> Hello, uh, my name is Cubos, I'm a streamer on Twitch. I recently started DMing for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, it only took me 29 years to get into the game, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it now. And... Uh, I'm a dog dad and uh, an all-around streamer, memer, gamer, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. An all-around cool guy at that. Aw, thanks. So, today we are discussing The Lost Mine of Fandelver, the starter set D&D module. Yes. Now, I have been DMing since 3.5. Five, but only recently started getting into the tooth and nail about it. And I must say that one of the things I do enjoy about this module is how much, how helpful it is for starting out DMs and how helpful it is for players just starting out. Mm-hmm. That being said, this is 100% spoilers for anyone who is planning on running it and who has, anyone who is currently running it. Uh, that is a personal call-out to my players who I know tune into my streams. Um, <laughs> so, be prepared for spoilers. That being said, we of course, I haven't managed to make it through the entire campaign with my group, but from what I hear, you just finished running with your group. Is that correct, Cubos? Yeah, we just spent uh, 12 hours yesterday finishing it. <laughs> oh, hot damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Um... But yeah, Cubos, ladies and gentlemen. We need a, like a clap track in the background. <laughs> you know, if, uh, when I can afford a stream deck and I'm not in the massive amount of debt I am in, I am totally buying one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lost Mine of Fandelver. Uh, I have, I have the book right in front of me just because, you know, it's quick reference and nice to go over things and follow along, but that's just the way I do things. Yeah, I actually brought mine up from downstairs. I have all my notes in mine, too, so. Oh, awesome. So, let's start with the background. About uh, the whole, more than 500 years ago, clans of dwarves and gnomes made an agreement known as the Fandelver's Pact, by which they would share a rich mine in a wondrous cavern known as Wave Echo Cave. Now, I'm not going to lie. Just reading the that first little bit, I was I was already hooked. I was like, I'm not I'm the one who's who's supposed to know everything that happens before everything does happen. Yeah. And that immediately was like, nope, I'm running this with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually picked up this uh, this starter set uh, over a year ago and had no idea like what I was getting into. I just thought, oh, okay, cool. Like it's a it's a D&D starter set. It has, you know, the dice, the book, the I think it had some uh, oh no, I didn't. I don't, I don't even think it had a grid. I had to pick up a grid afterwards. But uh, I was just like, I opened up the book when I bought the thing a year ago, and I'm like, oh, that's dope. Um, you know, the Forgotten Realms, the adventure hook that's in the first like two pages. Um, oh yeah. Like, and then yeah, and then I was like, oh, but I don't have anybody to play with. And so it's been a year of me like poking at my friends, being like, you guys want to try? You guys want to try? You guys want to try? <laughs> <laughs> And now they're hooked. Like we've, in the last, I think it's taken us eight weeks to get through this book because we play once a week for about four or five hours. 
and uh, we just like we pick away at it, and now we've got the ghosts of Saltmarsh, the the seven campaign pieces that are all amalgamated in one book, ready to go, and the tyranny of dragons, the two books. We've got those set up. Oh yeah, yeah. So and then they all just bought like today. They all went online and bought their own miniature characters. Um, oh nice. Yeah, I've been using some painted Warhammer ones that just kind of fit their characters for the time being. But now they actually went on the D and D website and bought all their characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I've been collecting miniatures since, like I said, three point five. So when I finally when I found out that the or not even when i found out that the local card shop here was uh selling pre-painted plastics i was like you know what i'm just gonna go buy blind boxes and then after buying blind boxes and realizing how much i pull monsters like you know it'd be nice to pull some pcs and then i started pulling pcs and it was like god damn and then there's so much and i'm not gonna lie legitimately as a dm the best gift you could get anyone who is who has already played D&D or is uh, currently DMing D&D, the best gift you can get them is a box of miniatures. Yeah. Because even if you get doubles, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, legit, I pulled four trappers from the new set of miniatures that just uh, came out, and trappers are just, like, 10 by 10 floor bits that are clearly not floor. (laughs) But, like, I pulled four of those things. I can now throw that into a room as, like, a 20 by 20 mimic if I wanted to. Oh, yeah. But, not saying I would do that, but it's totally something I would do. <laughs> That's um, But yeah, definitely, uh, miniatures are amazing. Yeah, I think they make the game better, I, I, for sure. Just having that that visual aesthetic in... And it does help uh, people who don't have a very strong imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, I know one of my players doesn't have a very strong imagination and is trying their darnness to to visualize everything that I'm describing to them. Right. And the miniatures definitely do have an impact and help with that visualization. Yeah, I agree. So the adventure hook. I I used the adventure hook. I did uh, the the whole meet me in Phandalin thing. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I did it was I basically I made one of the player characters their backstory had Gundren as a friend from their from their childhood or something like that, oh, okay. and it was like, hey, I could use your I could use your help in in uh, in in, uh, in bringing something to uh, Fandolin, and I was like, yeah, sweet, yeah, I'll meet you there. And then they basically it was Gundren left a, a few hours ahead of them. Then they left, and what I didn't do was I didn't read far enough ahead, which. Is where I learned my first lesson as a DM. <laughs> read far ahead. Yeah, read the whole chapter. <laughs> well, I read the whole chapter and I read the next two, and I was like, okay, I don't see Gundren mentioned here at all. But like, after reading further, is like, okay, clearly Gundren goes way off elsewhere. And what I didn't realize was the horses that you encounter that are dead in the road. Um, those were Gundren and Sildars. I didn't read it that way, <laughs> so. I had Gun. I had them catch up with Gunrun and Sildar on their way to Fandolin, and then I had to. And I was like, okay, well, this just ruins an entire entire hook here. So I was like, how do I fix this? And that's one of the other lessons that it taught me was, you have to be quick on your feet. 
and there's if even if you mess up, there's a way that you can alter it to make it work. Yeah, without ever having to really um, like backtrack on yourself. Exactly. So what I did was I threw more goblins at my party than I should have, and nearly, nearly it was a, it was a, it was a fight that it was a fight that they were clearly able to win with how it was written in the book. But I had to throw more into it just to make it so then you know I could get rid of uh, Gundren and Sildar. To where I further messed up some shit, but we will cross that in part three. <laughs> I, I use the adventure hook the way that it says where they hired the party, because I started with three people as or three adventurers as the party, and I knew that they were going to be the core group the whole time, and uh, so they were hired under contract. And then as they uh, as they adventured together, they progressively uh started to trust each other more and they were giving each other things as opposed to contractually uh, obligated to do things and by the end of it they had forgotten that they were contracted and uh i mean i'll go over it later as well but like but their employer um gundren the guy that sets this all up dies anyway so their contract was kind of null and void <laughs> in the end. <laughs> but it was good because they they learned to be a party of friends as opposed to contractually obligated adventurers. That's I like that. But if if my reading was correct, like there's a chance that Gundren will survive. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a there's a chance that he he lives or dies. Um, Ooh, okay, and this is yeah. where spoiler territory comes in. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he... Uh, Big ol' spoiler alert. I should have a, another button for that. Yeah, spoiler alert right here. <laughs> there's, um... Yeah, there's a lot of railroading, I find, in this book. Like, you are not given a lot of choice uh, throughout probably the... I would say the first 80%. And then the final three missions, or the final 20% of this book, is like, here's your choices, and they have consequences. And I liked that because it was very much like, learn how to be a DM, and then here you go, you're off on your own. <laughs> oh, okay, the book's not even over yet. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I found the first little bit was definitely a little railroady, but after the initial little bit of railroady that I had, it was very, I found it very sandbox once they got to Fandolin, where it was like, we could go and continue the adventure, or we could sit down in town, have a few have a few pints, and then the Red Brands just came in and started being dicks. And it was like, well, now I want to deal with this problem. Right, yeah. I think there was... But that's, again, crossing into part yeah. two. <laughs> oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, well, we, we, could, we could dip into part two a little bit, I believe. Go, go, go ahead with uh, what you were going to say there. Oh, just, yeah, the, this, it was very sandboxy in terms of choices. Like, you could... Um, you could choose to stay in town and do things. You could um, take on one of you know the ten or twelve missions that they or adventures that they give you. Um, go and talk to everybody around town, etc. I think that was well done, but there's no um, like outside influences to give you any choice. It's like you go and talk to those people and you pick up their adventure, and then you go and do it. And like my party, I think they talked to five or six different people amassed all the quests at once and then decided which ones to do. And it was sort of based on how many people they had for that session. Cause the, the three core people were always there, but then 
we'd always have one or two extra people pop in and oh yeah the 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 um, the way we had them enter the party was that they would be at the miners exchange in town looking for work and we would contract them like a or, or like subcontract them as mercenaries to help the party so they were never fully trusted but they were always given a cut of the gold and okay so that's how we had people pop in and out for the first well for this whole book basically so oh yeah um i had one member join the party from the the tribor trail i'm looking right at the name of it um yeah i had one person join from the tribor trail they were coming down from coneyberry we'll say uh and just happened to cro- come across the party as they were dealing with the horse ambush where Sildar's, uh, Sildar and Gundren's horses died. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he joined and helped out dealing with some of the goblins and they went and dealt with Kragma Hideout. Which I must say that... Uh, <laughs> I think my party my party could not have had, had much more go wrong. It's just <laughs> I was rolling really, really well. Like, they tried to stealth into it, and I, of course, I rolled the high-end rolls, beating them, and I was like, I, it was, I wasn't trying to. Yeah, and, of course, I fudged a few of their rolls, so then they they didn't die in the first couple sessions, but, of course, that's what we do. Um, and then, after getting into Kragma Hideout, they they essentially went on. You guys are you guys are causing us grief. We want to make sure you don't come back. So they went into a little, little bit of murder hobo rage. It was like, you guys are goblins. You guys are treating us bad. You're being bad. We're gonna make sure you don't be bad anymore by killing you. Right. And that was one of the things I I liked about the party and basically how they started out going through this. Um, that bridge in the main part was probably the most difficult thing for them to come across or to deal with in the Kragma hideout. Yeah, because there's two bridges there, right? Uh, nope, just one. Oh, in the... In the Kragma hideout. Still part one. Oh, yes, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they, they uh, had the bridge collapse, and then the bard, the dwarf bard we have in the party, thought it would be a good idea that as they were dealing with the goblins in Area 7... The human who can't see shit, because it's it's pitch black to him, but, like, everyone else has dark vision. And he doesn't. <laughs> exactly. So, the wizard, the human wizard, puts his hand on the wall and starts walking along the wall, finding his way through. And, uh, the bard led him down a hall, and then, in an attempt to startle him, pushed him over the ledge, back into the area below <laughs> So the entire encounter with Clark was literally just the the warlock throwing eldritch blasts at him, while the barbar while the half orc barbarian was just taking the hits. Nice. It was it was by far a very interesting encounter. Uh, it definitely did not play out the way I thought it was going to, which is where it, again the, this module taught me you have to think quick on your feet. Yeah. Yeah, I found, like, the Kragma hideout was probably the, not the easiest, but the most, um, 
I would say like generic dungeon for my party. Like they, they have all played D and D style games, but like digitally. So things like Neverwinter Nights, um, things like Baldur's Gate, like all all these games that are based in the same Forgotten Realms. But it's like when you're playing those things, you know you can do things like check for traps and burn bridges and do all these things that. <laughs> are in the game but you're always prompted to do those things so when we came to this dungeon they were asking me like can we do this oh like yeah hell yeah hell yeah let's try that <laughs> let's just see what happens uh, one guy was like can i sneak under the bridge i'm like yeah it's like it's i don't know it's like it says it's 10 feet over the over the thing yeah definitely it's got a little ledge right there let's try that he's like oh and then they realize that they can hear the goblins shuffling above them and they're like oh dope like we just figured that out it's like that was their first introduction to dungeoneering really and they they did it really really well um i don't think we had a a dungeon that went as well as Kragma hideout actually <laughs> everything after that was was <laughs> hilarity <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um Kragma hideout brings me to another part uh another thing that i uh learned was as a dm you when you have people joining and it's like you're not exactly in a position where you're in fandolin for example where you, where you had people meeting up through the miners exchange um i was presented with another person joining the group but we were still dealing with kragma hideout so after clark was dealt with and the human wizard and the dwarf got caught up with uh the cleric and the barbarian excuse me Oh, I'm a little gassy, sorry. Um, Sildar is in part six, according to the notes here. And then the only thing is he's been stripped down of all of his stuff. Now, remember how I messed up the plot hook? Mm -hmm. And how I had to have the goblins overrun them and then kidnap Sildar and Gunnar? Yes. <laughs> so they didn't exactly have time to... Well, they had time to get Gundren elsewhere, but they stripped down Sildar but didn't remove all of his stuff like from the area reading further ahead <laughs> because again I didn't read far enough I only read up to the end of part two mm -hmm. it was like well now that I'm reading part three right where I've got the castle of course yeah. like it's it says that Sildar's stuff is supposed to be in the castle I didn't have time to I didn't read that far ahead so I, I thought okay well where's Sildar's stuff it must be somewhere, but I wasn't going to read that far ahead to find it. <laughs> so I just makeshift put it elsewhere in the in the in the sixth area there. Oh, I see what you mean. Where yeah. it was also, where it was also chained up with the new player, the halfling rogue. Right. So, like I said, it, it it made me have to improvise. How could I get another person into this group? But also, how do I make sure the party doesn't kill this person, and at the same time they don't just he he doesn't just bend over and immediately like beg them for whatever. Yeah. They they role played it really well, and I'm I'm very proud of my group for that. I actually re I actually uh, reward extra experience when I see an excellent uh, demonstration of role playing. Okay. So despite the half orc barbarian being constant, uh, like a constant of, I don't know you, I don't trust you, but we can work to towards it, sort of thing, like. I gave her experience points for role-playing 
the encounter with the character, but also immediately not jumping on trying to kill this yes. guy. Yeah. yeah, that's sweet. I never, I never gave it extra experience to any of my uh, adventurers. Um, I just threw it into the pool, and it was up to the extra. It was up to the people who did the role playing whether they wanted to split it with the group or not. Oh, okay. But, yeah. That's a that's a good way of doing it. I didn't have anybody actually like role play their characters very much except for one guy our ranger he was always role-playing his character um but never never during all of like the town stuff or while he's just talking with the party it's always when he's talking to like npc characters and he would role-play really well so that was i would always make sure that he got some kind of like magical item or something instead <laughs> nice yeah. I found. But yeah, did you? Oh, go ahead. Oh, after you. <laughs> um, I found that like I gave out a lot of extra items in this campaign um, because I felt like my characters or my my adventurers were under um, underpowered in certain situations, even with four of them. Um, and like that's more later in the book but it's just one of those like i mean you were awarding experience and i ended up awarding more items because i was just like well this doesn't feel like you're ready for this <laughs> well i would reward them experience and in combination give them like little bits and pieces to help them get along their way mm -hmm. like um if we wanted to move into part two now where it is and in, more into Fandolin, um at first, I started out having them... They, they met Toblin, and Toblin treated them really well because they stood up for him, and after the Red Brands were causing him some grief. Like, I had the Red Brands seem like loan sharks, like high-end high mob, mm -hmm. if if you will. Whereas the book says more to have them be more like bullies, more like the childhood school bully sort of yeah. thing, right? No, I had them do the same thing. They were basically like um, enforcers. They were... They were there. They were the type of people who were like, "Oh, we provide you protection for the right amount of money, right?" The the saviors from The Walking Dead. I'm not sure if you watched. Yeah, Walking yeah, Dead, same but... thing. <laughs> totally. But like, uh, they they saw that Toblin was being harassed a little bit, and Toblin has has his kid and his wife, and they they were being harassed a little bit. It's like this is no, yeah, bye bye. And then of course they, this is where everything went off the beaten path like you know you mentioned it felt a little like railroading whereas i said it goes a little more sandbox mm -hmm. they after the red brands became enough of a problem they focused the red brands and they picked up they started a war with them oh they had red brands traveling in packs of four uh they were trying to find ways to they, they were they were really clever in trying to find ways to get to um the, the sleeping giant to try and take them out right and uh they they got really clever with it, and uh, Sildar was with them in town, of course, but, like I said, I'd given him all of his shit. Mm -hmm. So, at one point, they got spotted as they were trying to get to the Lion's Shield coaster, and the Red Brands were like, we know you, we're gonna, we're gonna deal with you, and because the party was so weak, they didn't, they didn't bring any of the items back from the cave to the Lion's Shield coaster at this point, so they had reduced stock because the goblins were taking their right. stuff. So as they were 
working on learning about that, Red Brands are on high alert looking for them, and of course a few of them are wounded and dealing with some stuff, and Sildar, being the badass that he is, is like, I don't know what you've done, I could probably guess what it was, and then he pulled a total Gandalf and said, run you fools! <laughs> so they, they, they turned tail and ran, and Sildar soloed, I think it was eight or nine Red Brands, before he got knocked unconscious. Jeez. Before they brought him to uh, the the Transcendar the Transcendar Manor, the, the hideout, and they put him into the cell opposite of where the Dendrar or not the Dendrar family. The uh, yeah no the Dendrar family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cell opposite of them. But again, they were still in a situation where they couldn't move all of his stuff. So I was like, well, this could have gone to Cragmont Castle now, but, you know, me not reading ahead far <laughs> enough. <laughs> but yeah, um, that was that was their first experience in Phandalin, was the Red Brands made, made their appearance pre- uh, known, and they didn't talk to very many of the villagers, but they did get some information, and they were picked on themselves, and at the end of it all, it was like, this is bullshit. You guys are bullshit. We hate you. We want you gone. And then they stormed the, uh... They did a very clever attack on the Red Brand hideout. I had, um... I had the party... Uh... Like, when they when they dealt with the Red Brands in the bar? Or the, the tap house? Um... <laughs> they uh well they okay so they pissed off the red brands and then it says in there to like up the stakes if they if they piss off the red brands and then they take too long the red brands might do something to like hinder the party and i had them i had it up the stakes on them that if for every day that they were gone like they wanted to do all the side quests so if they left town for any length of time, then the red brands would start uh, killing people in town uh, because of them. So then they felt very guilty and they stopped doing the side quests to deal with uh, the red brands because <laughs> they were like, oh, we can't be part of this. <laughs> Getting to the manor, the hideout. Mm-hmm. Did they go to the tap house and then go to the hideout, or did they, uh, like, how did you get them to the hideout? Uh, they did the tap house first, and then I think they had, oh, they had, um, we had a guy enter the party for one session. Um, he was one of the, a friend of one of the people in our regular group, and he was from out of town, and he came in. Uh, picked up he was the only person who used one of the pre-made characters everybody else had created their own and oh yeah yeah so he um he used a pre-made character the rogue and the rogue was actually um associated with the red brands in the past and had a map of their um of their hideout knew where they were and everything so it ended up working out really well because he came in and was like, oh, hey, I have this, like, I was part of them. I got kicked out because I uh, didn't like what was happening. And so they they basically were just like, leave. 
and uh, and he fled and then had all of the information pertinent to being able to get in there and deal with all of the other red brands so that was how they actually got to the hideout or into the hideout and dealt with them so i like that i should i, I like i now that you say it like that, I regret not doing it that way because it would have made my life a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> because what what they did was they started that war with the Red Brands, mm-hmm. and they were working on ways to get to the the Sleeping Giant Tap House. Um, what happened was because they were spotted and Sildar was there to cover their ass, it was like, you guys are fucking idiots. Go, leave, I'll deal with this, but you guys gotta go. Right. Uh, so they ran out of town, and I made a couple of errors. One, I forgot that one of my players had a level of exhaustion. Oh, okay. So, I thought that they were double moving to get out of town and get as far away as possible, make life easier. Right. And then I also misread the hexes of the overworld map, because they left Phandalin and went southeast or southwest to camp out if uh yeah camp out and let things die down a little mm-hmm. bit and then they they started working their way back to uh Fandolin and they kept they kept quiet they were thinking we'll go under we'll go underneath the uh the cover of night and we'll infiltrate the sleeping giant tap house and burn burn the burn the fucker to the ground yeah. so <laughs> Once they uh, once nightfall came, after they had had some rest and they gotten rid of, and of course the party member who was exhausted got rid of their exhaustion, they started making their way back to town. And once they got into town, one per one the dwarf bard was used a disguise kit to make himself look like a woman. <laughs> went in between the houses and such, going around working his way through town, and uh, the rogue just stood like walked across the bottom of the map more or less mm-hmm. and then when he got to in line with uh if you're looking at the map on page 17 mm-hmm. when he got in line with the 500 uh feet mark he went up towards the north and then he was gonna cycle through but he found a uh he found a cavern which would lead into the the manor the, the hideout so the dwarf bard who is disguised as a woman works his way into or gets picked up by some red brands and brought to the sleeping giant tap house and he gets a message from Glassstaff saying or one of the red brands says uh, save this one for me <laughs> and so the, the I'm guessing I made it like he messaged one of the uh, one of the leading people and said bring bring her to me I'll have I'll, I'll I'll have my time with mm-hmm. you that sort of thing, and that was how the dwarf got pulled or drifted towards the man. Oh, okay. Rule number one is you never split the party. They split the party. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> they split it twice. So while that's going down, uh, halfling rogue finds his way into this cavern and deals with some of the. Uh, deals with some of the effects of the Nothic okay. that's hiding out in the manor. Yeah. And it's like, I don't like this. I'm gone. Peace out. And then 
daylight's starting to show. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the party starts making their way into town. Dwarf's in the manor. Oh, they, they actually is leaving the manor. split up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Halfling is leaving the manor while they're making their way in town. They end up outside of the Sleeping Giant Tab House, and I threw a bunch of uh, red brands at them. I was trying to get them to run. Mm -hmm. And they, they did eventually run to the manor. They came across the halfling, and they pulled him in. Got to the manor. While they were dealing, or while they were making their way from the tap house to the manor, the dwarf was already there. Okay. In through the main entrance, on page 21, in through there, ended up falling into the pit trap and knocked themselves on <laughs> Perfect. It was a very well done, like, I, I'm... I'm not happy with this with the party. Don't get don't get me wrong. I, I'm all against splitting the party. However, I will say that the consequences for doing that action were just, and it was like, I'm not gonna lie. This could have panned out way better. <laughs> kind of glad it didn't. <laughs> exactly. I get that. And then, yeah, once they got into the manor, that's where more shit hit the fan. But I'm more interested in, at this point in time, hearing about what difficulties you encountered in the hideout. Um, the hideout wasn't actually super difficult for them. I don't think so. Um, they dealt with... Oh, actually, when they went in, they had the bugbears on the left-hand side. Um, they decided, and basically, it was their motto, always go left, right? <laughs> That was their thing. <laughs> Always go left when you when you enter somewhere. So okay, they go left and um, they go. Uh, they had a they have a druid in their party who can turn into. I mean, he can uh, shapeshift twice a day. Yeah, and so he they they figured it out that if they changed him into a mouse, that the mouse could go and scout for some information, come back and tell them, but. I said, okay, well, if you're a mouse, you know, like, or a rat, you know, fairly common in dungeons, etc. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna um, suspect necessarily, but you, your brain power is only so much, right? Like you have a tiny brain. So if you're going to do that, then you only have this amount of um, knowledge to be able to uh, remember things. So I allowed them like one room of scouting with the mouse. That was it. If he was a cat, then he could do two rooms. And I would have to like give him the details and then he could give it back to his party. And uh, and so this is what he did. And he's like, oh, I found um, these, whatever. He said, uh, five big hairy guys. <laughs> this is what he tells his party. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh, like they're not going to believe that it's bugbears. And of course they didn't. So they all of a sudden um, storm into this room and they're in the middle of five bugbears and they almost all die. Like four of the five of them are unconscious by the end of it. <laughs> and it's the first room out of like what 12 or 16. <laughs> it's just, the whole party's like, oh, okay, what do we do now? So they heal up as best they can um, deal with their uh, their gear and stuff and redistributing potions and 
And the one says, okay, well, we should take a short rest. Uh, okay, so they barricade the doors. They, they take their short rest. I rolled a d20 for, like, wandering monsters, you know? Like, they just fought five bugbears. I'm sure somebody heard something. So nothing encountered them. They got their short rest. Then they dealt with most of the rest of the areas. Uh, they ran into the Nothic. They made a deal with it that they would continuously give it the dead bodies of all of the uh, enemies that they fight along the way. And so they would, after each fight, they would drag all the bodies over to the cavern, give them to the Nothic, like leave them there for the Nothic, and then continue on. And that was how they went the whole time. They made the deal with the Nothic. And then at the very end, <laughs> somebody was like, oh, I'm going to get down in the cavern and scout around. Well, the Nothic wasn't very happy about that because of his chest. And so, oh, yeah. and so the one guy's like, oh, cool, there's a chest down here. <laughs> And so they <laughs> broke the deal with the Nothic for the chest, and uh, and just tried to just tried to take the chest basically, and uh, and almost all I can what's that all I can picture as you uh, as you uh, mentioned the Nothic of oh look a chest all I can hear is Gollum's voice going my precious yeah, <laughs> and then yeah man. trying to storm them out. and they just like they almost died to the Nothic because I had it. Uh, I had made it a little more powerful just because they double crossed it. And so they were, um, they were unable to find it at one point because it was like stealthed into the shadows and they're like, Oh no, where is it? <laughs> they couldn't find it. It jumps out, knocks one of the party members unconscious. Uh, yeah. Like they was, it was just a hilarity of, of, of bad timings for all of them. They double crossed almost everything that they made a deal with too. By the end of it, I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> so the Nothic would put us up to area eight. Cool. So I'm gonna we'll, we'll touch back because there's still a few rooms left. Mm -hmm. um, so before the dwarf fell unconscious in the pit trap in in area three, mm -hmm. he went into area four. He was just looking around, trying to scout ahead, and you saw the skeletons just hanging around they, they were they looked dead yeah he stepped into the five foot square in front of the door to towards area six and i and i made it like this ominous voice just says in his head password <laughs> yep to where he started spouting like gibberish and shit and the skeletons rose up okay and he was like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck and then he that that's where he ran out and fell in the pit trap and knocked himself unconscious oh, yeah. because the the skeletons got a few good hits on it you know okay um the party when they arrived they went into they dealt with the red brands in area two or went into area three uh woke up the dwarf saved his ass went into area two dealt with the red brands there yeah and they went back to area four and started exploring a little bit and didn't know the password, couldn't find the password or anything like that. But as they were walking back through Area 3, they heard a loud thud against the northern wall okay. on the side of the pit trap. Basically, um, one of the prisoners had been abused. Yeah. That's, that's what I had going on in my head to make that happen. They found the secret door, and they also found the satchel in the uh, cistern think that's what it's called the yeah the cistern in uh the small reservoir in area yeah. one they cleared out the items of the satchel 
found the secret door. I was like, oh, cool. We'll come back to this. <laughs> they started looking through Area 4 again. And they got smart. What they wanted, what they did was they took the dead skeleton bodies and put them into the pit. Oh, okay. And then when it chimed password and they didn't have the password and what had happened was the skeletons had, had materialized from the floor to start up combat. Nice. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is bullshit. And they, they ran, they took on the skeletons this time because they were ready for yeah. them. Found the secret door, went through Area 8. And uh, the two bridges in Area 8 with the Nothic, both, all of the party members were way, were holding on to items that made them weigh more than 50-some-odd pounds. Okay. Enough to break these things if they decided to pile on them. <laughs> so they let, let one person go at a time, and, I, and because they were weighing more than 50, I threw, I rolled the d20, like a constitution save for the bridge. Yeah. I think it was, like, they, they came across the Nothic, they found, they took some of the Red Brand armor and put it on and basically made a few of them look like Red Brands. Okay. So the Nothic was like, oh no, me masters, I I disrespected you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, uh, basically the, the Nothic thought he was going to die. <laughs> because he had used his, his gazing ability thing, which I, I'm not looking at the book right now to be able to tell you what it is but he used his gazing ability and he took out the two people wearing the red brand armor oh no <laughs> it was like oh fuck i'm dead now <laughs> and they start making their way across to go into area nine area ten and uh both bridges broke the warlock fell into the pit Got into a fight with the Nothic. Nothic lost. He goes in, grabs the chest, grabs the contents of the chest. It's like, here you go. To where the half-orc barbarian now has the, the the talon sword. Okay. So, the barbarian went through using the sword for the rest of, up to where we are now. But, what it, but here's where things get interesting. The rogue decided, I'm going to go up ahead. You guys are taking your time. I'm not dealing with you guys. Peace out. Mm -hmm. Goes down into Area 9, opens the door a little bit, sees three bugbears in there. The goblin makes eye contact with him and faints. Oh, no. <laughs> and he's like, fuck. And he starts making his way quietly back. He's like, there's things in the room, room down there. And then they put together what may have been the most elaborate trap I've ever seen them do so far. They had Mage Hand holding a torch. They used prestidigitation to light the torch. Uh, the wizard had four or five flasks of oil on him. Okay. So they dumped oil down, out down the stairs. Oh no. With the oil on the stairs, it's now a, a slippery, a slippery surface. It's difficult terrain. Yeah. It's also a slick surface. <laughs> To make it extra slicky, they threw ball bearings into the oil. Oh my goodness. With Mage Hand, they're holding a torch up, so then if the when the torch falls, it sets the trap up, and everything goes yeah. off. Now, the halfling is shorter than the half-orc barbarian, so he just fired pot shots between the legs of the half-orc. Okay. The half-orc readied a few javelins and started throwing those at anything they came up the stairs. 
So, they take a few rounds to set this up. The goblin, uh, the bugbears take some time to wake up the goblin mm -hmm. and send the goblin in. Or send the goblin out. The goblin goes out, starts walking up the stairs, having trouble, and the trap, they trigger the trap. <laughs> mm -hmm. A torch falls from the sky, setting the oil on fire. The goblin ma can't maintain his footing, so he falls into the oil. He's now covered in oil. Not only that, he's also burning and on fire <laughs> and dead. And dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Of course, hearing all the commotion of the screaming goblin, the bugbears come out, and then people start throwing pot shots, and the, the bugbears are trying to find their way through. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, the trap worked and did a number, but, like, you know, I, I use this to teach them a lesson. Like, you want to keep the thing, you want to try and keep a physical body around, because if you just leave them in piles of ash, all their valuables get burned as well. Yeah. So they didn't collect the eye patch. They didn't collect any of the weapons that the bugbears had. They weren't able to collect much. They just... It was like, okay, cool. Well, this is... It's... Well, everything's dead. <laughs> but in the process of dealing with that commotion there, it gave the Red Brands in Area 10 just enough cover to go, we're going to take out these things that are causing us <laughs> grief. So they were going to... They were. They started making their way to flank Area 8. Mm-hmm didn't pan out very well because uh one of the players rolled an insight or a, a perception check and it was like we've got things coming from behind and started and that was the wizard who started he pushed himself up against a wall and his go-to move is grab the nuts and shock and oh, grab <laughs> so I, I let him ready the action because there was there is more than enough people there to take actions and such and and such like that. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you get away with it this time. <laughs> what a move. Well, here's the thing. He, the wizard, he works a shift that doesn't work very well for the sessions, but one of the players, one of the other players can roleplay his character for him perfectly. Okay. So I've just been having him do the roles for it. And, uh... <laughs> Whenever the player arrives, he can't roll to hit with shocking grasp to save his life. <laughs> Not at all. He's lucky to roll above a 10. Mm -hmm. But whenever someone else is playing his character, they'll roll 10s, they'll roll 20s, they'll roll a bunch of stuff. Yeah. The only time, the only time the wizard is able to roll well is whenever someone else plays him. And... Other than that, it's his, it's his divination rolls. Right. Well, we have a we have a player like that, or I have a player like that too. He's like uh, he's a bugbear monk, and whenever he's doing normal attacks, he can't roll for anything. But as soon as he drinks um, a cask of cider, like a huge cask of cider that he carries around, he in one of the down weeks of downtime, he trained in drunken boxing, and we rolled a d twenty, and he got drunken boxing. <laughs> <laughs> so when he drunken boxes, he gets the ability to hit multiple enemies as long as they're all within 10 feet of each other. So he often whirlwinds with his quarterstaff and does, and then he has a, like the offhand attack or his bonus attack. So he whirlwinds multiple enemies at once and then follows it up with like a high jump kick or something stupid. <laughs> and it works out almost every time, but normal attacks he can't do to save his life. 
It's <laughs> pretty awesome. The the wizard, uh, his character, is constantly drunk. Mm-hmm. Like has a flask at his hip, and it's always filled with ale of some sort, and he's just constantly going at it. If if he's if he's sober, there's something wrong. <laughs> that's that's basically how this character plays. Yeah. <laughs> Get into area ten, and of course you see the that it's got a description of uh, of a tap, and he just goes, "I'm drinking the whole thing," and he. Roll a constitution save. And it's like, yep, I can still function. (laughs) (laughs) So now, uh, after going over that, that's area 9, 10, 8 there. Um, Area 11 and area 12. That would be Glassstaff's quarters area. Mm -hmm. His workshop and his quarters. How did your group deal with that encounter? Uh, what did they do for glass stuff? Um, they ended up finding the secret room or the secret entrance um, to the back of glass staff's place. Oh, and in doing so, they um... hold up one second. Jingle Bell, thank you for the follow. Nice jingle. Hot dang. <laughs> oh hell yeah. <laughs> I I don't have any I don't have the camera going so I don't have any fancy hand things I could do but take note Jingle that I am doing jazz hands for <laughs> you and thanks. <laughs> um so yeah so they they found the secret entrance to the back and this bugbear monk that I was talking about he we ended up giving him the title of mage killer um because every time we met a mage he would uh he would insta kill it he would just like he would use his sneak attack and then flurry of blows with all his key points i see i see some uh foreshadowing for part three. Oh yes wink wink nudge totally. nudge <laughs> he was nuts so he was just mage killer was, um greg Gr- the mage killer was what his title was and he was nuts <laughs> so yeah they found the, the back entrance and uh and then basically one hit glass stuff and that was it they just killed him <laughs> or no i sorry they knocked him <laughs> unconscious they he had decided to knock him unconscious at the last second instead of killing him and then they took his staff and they brought him back to sildar and sildar said okay well you know we're we're not the ones to judge him um we're gonna take i'll take him back to neverwinter for judgment and one of my party members, one of my adventurers said, uh, nope, fuck that. I want to kill him here and now. <laughs> so uh, he used his persuasion check against Sildar, and and Sildar said, yep, <laughs> off with his head. Fair that enough. Off with his, yep. <laughs> off with his head, and that's what happened. It was, so that was how we, that was how we dealt with glass stuff. <laughs> Which was somewhat like both unnerving and unexpected, because <laughs> I was like, "You gotta be kidding me! You're not actually gonna do that, are you?" They were like, "Yeah, we want to, we want to kill him." <laughs> okay, all right, why not? <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I'm not gonna lie. I had I had definitely had the roles and everything to let him die. The party didn't, but 
I I figured I could use that as a neat little adventure hook if I decided to uh, host another thing in the Sword Coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened with Glassstaff? And I honestly, sorry, Jingle's asking what the following yeah, song right. is. I've got no clue what the following song is. I literally just went in and typed in Twitch sound alerts, and it, that was one of the things that showed up, and I liked the sound of it, and it just happened to line up with the dab uh, thing that played really well, so... But that being said, I'm also four followers away from the follow goal. Nice. So. Woo! Um, Glassstaff, how did... Okay, so the party went through Area 11, and they were they were like, he's probably behind this door, but we're going to be quiet about it. We're going we're gonna to set up an ambush. And you know, he has that fine familiar, and they noticed the rat when, when they walked in. Yeah. Yeah, my party completely and, uh, avoided the rat, actually. They avoided that whole room. Even at the end, they managed to. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah no, uh, he, they, they noticed the rat, and the rat, of course, he, he's connected with it telepathically, so it's like, oh, people are setting up an ambush. He took that entire time. Like, they, the, he, as soon as he got solid confirmation that they were going to breach, mm -hmm. he was like, yeah, I'm gonna go. And he, and he went out the back door, and he made sure, and, like, Still with his telepathic connection, he was still able to go, they're still taking their time setting this up. I'm just going to make sure this is closed. So he, he did actually close the uh, the door okay. and started making his way out of the out of the manor. Nice. So they storm the room, they find the letter, and it's like, this is bullshit. Where the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Where, what do you mean there's no final boss? This is bullshit. <laughs> like, and they're looking through the room trying to find hints of where he went, and someone found the secret door and was like, that fucker. <laughs> and so they started following his tracks through Area 7, then through Area 6, to where the dwarf collected all of the bolts of... or all of the crossbow bolts. Mm -hmm. The wizard collected a crossbow, but didn't take any of the bolts or anything. Just whatever. And got into Area 5. They found Sildar and uh, the rest of the Dendrar family. Freed them, dealt with the red brands there, and of course I just gave... Sildar's stuff back, not realizing, oh, I could have so totally sent that off to Cragmore Castle, but again, didn't read far enough ahead. <laughs> Work their way out through Area 4, get back through Area 3. They, they avoided the pit. That Someone did fall into it. I can't remember who at this point, but... Uh, and they left. And it was like, okay, where the hell could this guy have gone? He could not have gotten that far. Mm -hmm. And then they got into town and they figured, okay, well, if he's if this is Glassstaff... Oh, I skipped a part, because when they encountered Sildar in the prison cell, they also showed him the letter, and, was, and like, the letter that the Black Spider had left, and it was like, there's no way on earth that he's the fucking... There's no way he's Glassstaff. No way. <laughs> and Sildar spent the rest of the, the whole escape from the manor as, like... Like, he was distraught. He was betrayed. Like, he, he thought he could trust this guy, but, like, they were, like, brothers. Like, legitimately, it played out like Star Wars. Like, you were my brother, Anakin. <laughs> I loved you. And then, of course, Glassstaff was a dick. Yeah. Now, in the Glassstaff encounter, which they figured, wait, if he's the head of the Red Brands, he's probably at the Sleeping Giant. So they encountered him at the Sleeping Giant. Okay. Um... 
And this is where it got interesting, because I had to modify his stat block. Oh, okay. Because with how he was currently written, he was very easy to kill, very quick to deal with, and it was like, this is... I'm not... Nope. (laughs) This can't happen like this. So, I made a few modifications. I'm going to go back to the appendix, because appendix A, I think, is where the uh, items are. Because uh, it's his staff of defense, right? Uh, yeah. So, instead of just giving him the plus one to the bo- to the armor class, I give it a few abilities. Uh, using the stat block for the evil mage, instead of instead of just giving him the plus one, I made the the glass staff a staff of mage armor, so he could at will cast mage armor once a day. Okay. However, if he abused it, like, went once a day for eight days straight, there's a chance the glass staff would shatter, in which case everything's gone. Yeah. Um, and then he, I made him use Misty Step a couple times, uh, and with the Sleeping Giant, I put a window in the side of the building, mm-hmm. because he had a bunch of red brands come out and start helping him, and they were dealing with them, like, picking them off, and he was making his way. He drank a potion of invisibility. They picked up on his escape, and he moved over to where, when he fired off a magic missile, it would hit a few people, and then when he was being chased down, he was like, fuck this, looks in through the window, and misty step. He just vanishes. (laughs) He didn't go far. He went into the building, and it was like, where the fuck did he go? And then everyone started perception checks. It's like, wait, I can't find him. Where is he? Someone had the idea of looking inside the building. It's like, he's in here. (laughs) And they knocked him out, and Sildar said, "We'll take him. I'm taking him back to Neverwinter to fucking try his ass. He's he's not gonna he's not gonna live to see tomorrow. He'll he'll spend the rest of the days of his days in prison." Mm-hmm. And people tried to go, "No, no, we want to kill him. Let's let's just off with his head right now." And it was like, "No, I'll take him back to Neverwinter." And uh, seeing as you guys are leaving town anyway, I guess I'll accompany you up until a point. Because they decided they were going to go back to Cragmaw Cavern and grab all the boxes for Lion Shield Coaster. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I let them use a loophole in the wording of Mage Hand. The, ten, the 50-foot rope weighs less than 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. So... Mage Hand allows you to carry things that as long as they're under 10 pounds. So what I did was I allowed my players to use Mage Hand and the 50-foot rope, tie up all of the boxes, and then the Mage Hand could just carry and drag along. <laughs> no strength check <checkwart> required. <laughs> awesome. We had, um, one of the things that happened with our Glassstaff encounter was <clears throat> they knew Glassstaff was there and that he was um like the one of the old party members of sildar and gundren and like i made it as if they had all been part of an adventuring party or or several like one or several times in the past and uh so the whole thing was with glass staff they uh they knew about the staff they knew uh that he was sildar's old friend and that was why they knocked him unconscious like in the moment and they wanted to take him back to Sildar. And then that's what surprised me when they were like, yeah, okay, we want to kill him. (laughs) It's just like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on? Um, But when they knocked him unconscious, 
we have a we have a an adventurer as part of my party who is very greedy with items, uh, like extremely greedy. So as soon as <laughs> I said uh, Glassstaff falls over unconscious, he says, "I run across the room and pick up the Glassstaff and run out of the room." <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. You pick up the glass stuff. He was a 453 pound total. <laughs> like, okay. You shamble across the room, pick up the glass staff. The rest of your party looks at you in surprise <laughs> as you lumber out of the room. Does anybody want to do anything? <laughs> somebody <laughs> says, somebody says, yeah, I shoot an arrow into his foot. <laughs> oh my God. The party is turning on itself for staff of defense. Like, <laughs> you're gonna be kidding me. But my party was not nearly as um, as creative as yours in terms of like their traps and their setups. Mine was a lot more straightforward. Oh yeah, I was I was impressed that they came up with that one. Like, don't get me wrong, my my players are intelligent. Like, they are smart and they are witty when it comes to like, especially the wizard. He's always cracking quick quips. Like, you open the door for an insult, he's, he's going to... If you open it a crack, he'll kick it open and say, Here's the joke! <laughs> nice. So I'm just making uh, some modifications because uh, I'm getting ready to uh, take a break here as well. Because, let's face it, it's we've been we've been live for an hour, no issues or anything, and let's face it, we, we could use a break. <laughs> uh, give us a moment to stretch our legs. And I figured, you know, between part two and part three is the golden opportunity to uh, take this break. Sure. Um, so give me one second just to finish up this here. Yeah, no, uh, they tried to say, let's kill him now. And then no, I was like, well, well, while you're leaving town, we will uh, deal with this. And so they went and got the Lion Shield Coaster stuff, brought it back. And then Lenine, I think, is the name. Um, I, yeah, I yeah, think. Lenine. Yeah, Lenine. So, I made her a bit of a town historian as well. Okay. Like, she collects, like, historical artifacts, saw Talon, and I was like, I want your sword. Like, I really want your sword. And that's a historical artifact. Like, that one was used for a lot of shit. And then, I also gave it a little bit of uh, power, a little bit of a higher power as well. I made sure that it had a plus five against Drow. Okay. Which will help, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I feel it was a little overpowered, mm -hmm. like just as it is, with how the player is playing with it. But yeah, I, I gave it a little bit of an extra oomph just to. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be a lot. <laughs> well, it'll help a lot later on, but they they're also leveling at an at a at an alarming rate, because they've been. They haven't been running away from red brands. They've been taking them head on, saying, "You guys are assholes. I'll fucking kill you, and you're dead now." Nice. But yeah, so Glassstaff got dealt with. We're now back in Fandolin. We're in between quests. We've dealt with the red brand threat. I say now is an excellent time to take a break. So. And welcome back. Again, I am joined with 
an all-around great guy here, Cubos of Cubos Games, Cubos Games here on Twitch. Um, again, welcome back, Cubos. Thank you. And welcome back to you guys, the listeners slash viewers. If you're listening to this live on Twitch or watching it live on Twitch, it's it's a stagnant image. So feel free to have this play in the background if you'd like. When we last left off with our adventurers, we were talking about the lost mines of Fandelver. We had just finished discussing the Red Brand hideout and how our groups dealt with it. And now we are entering part three. Now, this is major spoiler territory for anyone who has not run this module that would like to, or if you are currently running the module with your group, this is major spoiler territory. So, if you are one of my viewers who is currently in this part, there you will know exactly what point is where you are. Have fun and enjoy the spoilers. Otherwise... <laughs> Take it away, Cubos. <laughs> um, so, uh, where did we leave off? Sorry, we were at... Part 3. We had just finished taking out the red brands and putting Glassstaff to whichever method of questioning or uh, paying for his actions. Right. Okay, so yeah, so my party killed Glassstaff and... And mine decided, or mine didn't decide to let him go with Sildar. Sildar just said, just said, no, I'm taking him with me. You guys are going to deal with it, or you guys are going to kill me along with mm, it. Okay. And then I had uh, I had my party do a whole bunch of side quests right after that. Um, they did, like, the Old Owl Well. Um, they did the Agatha's Lair. Um, they basically finished up everything that wasn't storyline driven, like, uh, or the main quest lines. Oh yeah, that is definitely what part three is. Yeah, so they finished up all their stuff, um, talked to Agatha, um, didn't realize that they could get different information out of Agatha. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, and that was pretty funny in itself. Um, and then they went on to Thunder Tree. And Thunder Tree has the, what was it here? The, the green dragon and all the ash zombies. Yeah, yeah, Green Dragon and the Ash Zombies. So they went, uh, they went and made sure that <laughs> none of them could be hit by Ash Zombies. Um, they were like, I forget where it said. Somebody told them in the quest or in like the talking to the townspeople or somewhere along the lines. I can't remember. I don't have my note in front of me for that. But somebody told them about Ash Zombies, and so they knew that they had to hit the zombies before they actually touched them so that they wouldn't get the puff on them and be poisoned. So they they dealt with that <clears throat> and then uh, went through the whole town after they talked to the druid. And um, instead of trying to kill the dragon, which is what like the druid wants them to just drive it off, this is where they got kind of creative. And they used um, their persuasion skills and told the dragon that they would clear out Cragmaw Castle for it, leave it all of the gold, or bring the gold back, because I made the, the dragon very um, treasure-oriented. And um, and then the dragon could inhabit the Cragmaw Castle once they were done with it, and that was how they were going to drive it off. 
So they went to go. I see. Yeah, they went to go deal with all of that. Um, but in trying to persuade the dragon, they uh, they had to use their. Um, one of them had to use their inspiration points to make a reroll because they rolled like a three on their persuasion and the dragon was about to attack. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And then they go, uh, they go, oh, I'm going to use my inspiration to reroll this. I said, OK, fine. So he rerolls and he gets a 20. <laughs> let's, 20. let's talk inspiration real quick. Um, so the way I use inspiration is uh, at the end of every one of our sessions, I'll have the group vote who should get inspiration. Uh, OK. You'll start it with a point of inspiration. And the book says you can only have one inspiration point at yes. a time. So whoever currently has inspiration, like it, it allows for my wizard who can't roll for crap to re-roll on advantage. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Instead of just re-rolling the one. Yeah. So instead of just re-rolling one die, I give them, well, here's two dice and take the higher number, right? Yeah. Um, how do you give out inspiration? Um, I give it out to the whole party. Um, even if you have inspiration, you can be given inspiration, but you can't have more than one. So it was a party-wide feature. Um, and the whole point of that was supposed to be for them, um, they had to work together, right? Um, you, you live and die by your party was kind of the, the way that I made them play. And so when they gained inspiration, they gained it as a group. Um, they were allowed in this campaign, I've told them that it'll be much more strict in like the next level of gameplay. But in this campaign, oh, yeah. I said that you can use it like for whatever, if you want to reroll whatever, but that's what it's used for is strictly rerolling. Um, you can't use it to like get bonus experience. You can't use it for other things. It's only for rerolling. So they all, all agreed. Okay. Yeah, that seems fine. And, uh, yeah, so they would use it for any rerolls. Like if they failed, uh, <laughs> Um, a check or if they wanted to reroll a persuasion uh, or intimidation or if they missed an attack like as long as they had one point of inspiration they could use it for any reroll and um, and I would give out inspiration for things like if the bugbear uh, was doing his drunken boxing and hit oh yeah there was one case where he they fight 12 zombies by the old owl well I think um, and he uses drunken boxing whirlwind attacks four zombies that were surrounding him and then with his bonus attack sparta kicks one more and it hit so hard it hit a critical hit he hit it so hard that it uh he blew his foot through the middle of the zombie and hit the one directly behind it so it was so inspiring the whole thing was so inspiring to the party that they all gained inspiration <laughs> And then there were times where, like, one character would defeat um, some monster or something. Uh, like last night, for instance, as in the near the nearing the end of our twelfth hour <laughs> of playing, <laughs> the one guy starts singing the um, Final Fantasy VII winning theme song, and <laughs> the whole party picked it up with him. They all sang it together, and not just like the main tune, but like all of the following stuff for like forty seconds. And I was just like, well, that's pretty inspiring, y'all. <laughs> like, you all get a point of inspiration just picking this up together. Right? So it was anything that the, the party did together, they would gain an inspiration for. I like that. I might adapt that into, uh, like, right now, as it's, it's, it's like, 
for really good role playing, I'll give you inspiration. Mm-hmm. If uh, you come up with an with a better with a really good idea, like I'll have an idea as to how to resolve an an issue mm-hmm. in the campaign. If you come up with a better way to do it, cool. Your character gets inspiration. Yeah, sweet. Uh, and then the dwarf bard, uh, the player for him, he's really he's the guy who cracks the quick quips mm-hmm. and why he enjoys the cantrip vicious mockery so much. <laughs> okay. He's constantly cracking these quick quips, these god-awful dad jokes, but I love them because they're funny. I'll give him inspiration for the dad jokes. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I would do that, too. Yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) Like, it it, it lets the player know, like, keep it, like, don't abuse this, but at the same time, like, don't change it. Like, your sense of humor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. and you were de- you were talking about dealing with uh, the dragon in Thunder Tree. Mm-hmm. I have yet to encounter the dragon the dragon with this group. So I like the idea of playing him like the his wealth is the most important part. Like I like that. Yeah, he's supposed to be this greedy, um, greedy young green dragon. And what they do is actually, um, I think that they convinced the cultists to go and see the dragon with them because they went to see the cultists first. So they all go and talk to it together. And um, they end up double-crossing the cultists. Uh, The dragon eats them but is so enraged that it attacks. It luckily misses all of them with its, like, um, with the cone breath that it does. Yeah. So, otherwise, they might have actually died. And um, so, I'm just looking for the cultists. Sorry, like I said, I've read all of chapter three so many times. It's like, okay, I need to <laughs> cool down a bit, pump the brakes. Yes, yeah, so, come back. So they deal with the cultist, um, the cultists in town by by basically feeding them to the dragon, and then they convince the dragon because uh, the whole thing too is the spiders, like the. Oh, yeah. The dragon eats the Building spiders. 18. So they were making part of their deal with the dragon was to double cross the cultists and feed them to the dragon. And the dragon is, um, I wouldn't say happy about it, but like is okay with this arrangement. And then, uh, and but the dragon was also very strong. Um, I rolled for every single monster, I rolled their hit points instead of taking the average. And in, And I told all of the adventurers, like, I don't want anybody taking averages. I want everybody to roll for all their stuff. I want it properly randomized. Um, the averages are fine, but things in life and in uh, games and everything is random. So I want to do all these rolls. So I rolled, and <laughs> I should have uh, prefaced this with with uh, why, but I also roll like abnormally high. <laughs> like I <laughs> I tend to roll very high numbers, and I, it's not. You know, I'm not trying to do it, obviously. It just happens. And <laughs> there's a few creatures where I will roll I will roll the health block for. Yeah. Like uh the the wizard at the old owl well, which we'll we'll cross that bridge in a mm-hmm. moment. Um I rolled for his health because the fact that he's uh with so many zombies, it's really hard to make a lengthy fight out of that and it's also with the health average, which is what I normally use, mm-hmm. there is it things die so quickly, especially with uh, 
the half work who or who gets such an incredible bonus because of her rage, it's like well, there's no point to me. There's no point to making it so then this thing can't like this thing needs this thing needs to die, but it shouldn't be dying this yeah. fast. And I I rolled the health for every monster, not every specific monster, but like if a group of zombies was together, then they all had whatever I rolled for the health. Mm -hmm. And but I usually rolled fairly high, so the dragon ended up with 145 out of a possible 160 hit points. Yeah, take your power word kill and shove it elsewhere. Yeah, I was just like, look, <laughs> y'all, this is the way it's gonna be. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, and they they took it in stride. They were all like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like, let's do it that way, right? Um, so yeah, go ahead. Let's pump the brakes on Thunder Tree, because like I said, I'm not I'm not there yet with the mm -hmm. group. What I have done with the group is I've done Coneyberry and Agatha's Lair. Mm -hmm. I've also done the Old Owl Well and Wyvern Tor. Okay. So upon leaving town and dealing with and grabbing the stuff for the Lion Shield coaster, bringing it back, they went to the they went to the Stonehill Inn, and everybody was happy that they dealt with the Red Brands. They're like, "You dealt with the Red Brands. We needed this. We this is a problem we needed dealt with, and you guys have finally dealt with it. Like, thank you." And so. Toblin was like, I don't give a, f I don't give a fuck how much you run me into the ground. Like you guys just dealt with the biggest problem in town, so like drinks are on the house. Like go nuts, and of course the wizard goes, "What's your strongest, most expensive shot?" And he goes, "Here it is." And the only time I've seen the wizard roll a nat twenty is on this Constitution save, <laughs> <laughs> which he needed. Otherwise, he would have like. The wizard doesn't have very much health. Like, it's a D6 hit die. Mm -hmm. um, what it would have done was it would have taken his health, turned the max pool from 25 to 4. <laughs> nice. And that would and that, that's his max health. He still has 1D6 hit die, but his health pool can be, consist of no more than 4. Right. Because in order to make a shot that strong in this time and age, you would have to put some pretty dangerous chemicals into right. it. <laughs> so, n yeah, of course, nat 20 constitution save. It's like, that's your strongest? <laughs> Fuck. Um, and then Harbin Webster, Wester, West, I, don't, I don't know what his name is, uh, but the, the town master <laughs> says, we've had reports of uh, dragons and or things, uh, orc raids in Wyvern Tor, can you go deal with them? And So they went off and dealt with that, um, but they didn't deal with it immediately. Like the, the entire town was here celebrating the fact that the Red Brands are gone, except for Lady What's-Her-Name, who owns the, uh, who runs the Miners Exchange. Yeah. Uh, she was pissed, and there was a couple of Red Brands left in town, which, again, the, the party didn't encounter them until later. Um... But Duran, Darren Edermath came by and said if you could deal with uh, this, the zombies that I'm hearing word of over here, I'd appreciate it. Um, and then even Agatha. In fact, the sister Gariel of uh, Gariel, I, I, everyone pronounces it differently, but I pronounce it Gariel. Mm -hmm. Um she was so impressed with how loyal to his order the warlock was. I almost called him a cleric because he's playing a warlock of the celestial. Okay. But 
she was so happy with like so so proud of the way he operates that it was like we want to make you one of the watchers and then my player went and did some research and it was like i, I was just a watcher i just became a watcher of essentially the illuminati <laughs> perfect <laughs> because that's that's essentially that's what the harpers are yeah. so yeah he's a watcher for the harpers and uh they had a big ceremony there and she went off and uh he, here's a no, that didn't happen until after she dealt with, or after they dealt with, uh, Coneybury and Agatha, but, yeah. She gave the cleric the silver comb, and it was like, take this to Agatha and ask her about this here. Mm-hmm. And so they went and dealt with Wyvern Tor. Let one of the orcs go, and it was like, and the wizard was like, we'll let you go, and then... Everyone else is like, that orc is going to come back with a bigger army and is going to demand your head on a pike, and you're going to, you just, you handed your head to him on a silver platter. Like, you are an idiot. And he goes, a drunken idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, after dealing with that, it was like, oh, wait, according to the map that we were given from Toblin, uh, Old Owl Well should just be, just be to the north. So they went to the north, mm-hmm. came across the wizard and, the wi- and they were started out by killing zombies, and then the wizards all like, "Well, we can resolve this peacefully." And then, warlock of the celestial, you are you're doing necromancy, and I'm not cool with that. You're gonna fucking die and pay for your sins. <laughs> so, when I was rolling the random encounters, I rolled an ogre for the uh, final hour of their travel to get to the old owl well. Mm-hmm. In rolling for the ogre. It was like, well, I'll just save this for later. And I made the ogre attack, so it was either they teamed up with the wizard and dealt with the ogre together, or he would, or they would kill the wizard and try and take on the ogre themselves. They chased the wizard off, again, for another plot hook for, or another adventure thing later on if I needed, the, needed it yeah. to. And they finished off the ogre, finished off the zombies. Uh, the name of the wizard, Hamun Kost. Yep, Hamun Kost. Or Hamun. Yeah, he got away. And upon returning to town after dealing with Agatha and Coneyberry, they encountered... I rolled the random encounters. I rolled the D12. Every hour that went by, they fought four owl bears. Jeez. <laughs> They took on the owl bears. They won against the owl bears. They leveled up extremely fast, so now they're overleveled. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the barbarian, which is the tank and has the highest health pool, is now also holding a sword that has a plus five against drought. Awesome. If if that's not broken, I don't know what is. Like, legitimately, I want to run these characters through the Tomb of Horrors just because I think it would be interesting to see how they what what trap they fall into and mm-hmm. die. But we'll talk about the Tomb of Horrors another time. Only because it is by far one of my favorite modules. Yeah, I haven't played it yet. Uh, you're, uh, here's what I can tell you about the Tomb of Horrors. You want to grab the 1978 version and transfer it, like translate it from AD&D to 5E yourself. Okay. Because the 5E rendition in Tales of the Yawning Portal yep. is 
slightly dumbed down to make it more survivable. But, back to Coneyberry and Agatha's Lair. Coneyberry, I googled a map and just went with that and used yep. it. Um, and when it came to Agatha, they asked about the uh, spellbook. Okay. And then it was like, wait, do you think that that guy had the spellbook? <laughs> so now they want to find him a little bit, and it's like, please don't. Please, yeah, please for the don't. love of God, don't. There's nothing written in the book for this, and I I don't have it. Oh, I got another follow. Pangu. Pangu. Thank you. Again, no camera right now, but I can tell you right now, you are. Uh, I can't give you jazz hands because I already gave jazz hands to Jingle. But I will give you finger guns because uh, you've heard Pingu talk, right? Oh, yes. He sounds like Snake, almost <laughs> damn damn identical. So I'm going to give you finger guns and just so you know that it's finger guns. They got snaps. <laughs> Thank you, Pingu, for the follow. I have to update another thing on the thing. But I can do that while I talk. Um, Agatha, they asked about the, the book and then... They encountered some orcs on their way into finding Agatha. Okay. And this is where I like the wizard. The wizard is a very diplomatic wizard. Despite being a drunken idiot... <laughs> despite being a drunken idiot, I like the fact that he plays di diplomatically. He would much rather roll persuasion, diplomacy, that sort of thing, instead of fighting things okay. out. And... He... Pulled up a stump and a couple of smaller, uh, a couple of small logs to sit down because sit down on because the orcs were also looking for Agatha. Mm. He didn't figure out why, but he told them that he sat down, poured out some orcish wine, and said, "And he knows orcish because the half orc is orcish and or knows orcish, and that's how they communicate outside of game is orcish." Okay. Um. So they were talking to these orcs and orcish. The dwarf and the half or the halfling don't understand shit. <laughs> so <laughs> as they're talking, it's like, "What are you guys doing in the woods?" Like, I'm surprised you guys haven't tried to kill us yet. And it's like, "Well, you haven't given us a reason to kill you yet." Like, but what I can tell you is, I do appreciate the wine. The wine is a nice gesture, and. It's like, I know, it's an, I love the wine, the wine is very good, it's like, but we're here because we need to ask her a question, um, and we're possibly going to kill her. <laughs> and of course, they're in her area, it's just, it's, it's like, the, they're in Agatha's area, they haven't, she hasn't revealed anything to her yet, it's just, they're in the area where she yes. is. She can listen to this, she's listening to the whole thing, it's like, we have to ask her a question, but if she's going to be hostile towards us, we're going to fucking kill her. <laughs> and there's like, she heard that. I rolled to make sure she heard it. It was like, yep, she heard that clear as day. <laughs> now there's a chance she's not going to appear. I was like, and of course the wizard goes, well, if you guys could just back off and we'll, we'll let you know what we find. Like, Mayor Paths Cross again. I was like, yeah, you spared us. We spared you. We got it. Like, they became friends with the orcs. Okay. So, they go in, deal with Agatha. They don't kill her. They don't attack her. They ask her the question, and she's like, you got one question. That's a second one, and I will answer it because it's a simple answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you get. And then she vanished, and that was it. It was like, 
See, I had... Uh... You don't think that wizard had the book, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, when I had them encounter Agatha, they... Uh... <clears throat> One of the party members... I forget who it was exactly, but not the most diplomatic of, of characters throughout the whole game or throughout our whole session. And for some reason, he he is super diplomatic during the exchange. He opens with like, oh, dearest Agatha, um, you know, untold oh, like beauty that. has been, uh, we've been told of your, of your beauty and et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, oh, you're such a charmer. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> <laughs> how you how you react to things and it was like it was perfect because that was exactly what they needed to do so that agatha wouldn't fuck them up um or just leave and uh and yeah it was just like how did you know to do this and later he's like i just had a feeling man like when you're dealing with when you're dealing with hags you gotta be nice right? <laughs> like, okay i love how he words it when you're dealing with hags you gotta be yeah. nice i was just like no way you figured this out <laughs> What was that meme? It was like my metagaming player. Uh, wait, that doesn't have that ability. I have altered the stat yeah. block. Pray that I don't alter it any further. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. So I had them, and like the uh, Hammond cost the the necromancer. That was where our bugbear earned his mage killer title. Was because oh, yeah. of Hammond cost. He also one hit Hammond cost. I know monks are broken. Like, don't get me wrong. Monks are definitely broken. But the book has the average being 22 health. And you roll notoriously high. What did you roll for his health? I think it was uh, 27. Or 24 or 27 for him. And you're telling me he did, wait, do you do the uh, negative 10 or negative their hit points before they're dead? Or do you just, once they hit zero, they are dead or unconscious, depending on how much non-lethal damage they hit? Uh, once they are at zero health, they are unconscious or dead, depending on what the characters want them to be. So the way I do the health, this is actually a nice tie-in, and this is something I learned as a DM, is uh, when doing, like, that sort of thing. If they are fighting a creature and they're doing non-lethal damage, I go until uh, what's, we'll say a goblin, we'll use a goblin's health, or actually because Hammond cost is, your your health form was 27. I rolled 32. Um, <laughs> no, not 32. I rolled, I rolled mid-30s, like 35 to 40-ish area, but I'd I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head because they only did 33 damage to mm. him. Um, but once the creature hits 27, if it's mostly lethal damage, they're dead. Okay. If the, if they have, say, 14 points of lethal and then the rest of it is non-lethal but it, it equals out to zero, then they're unconscious. Okay. Basically, if they do a combination of non-lethal and lethal damage, if there's more lethal damage, then they're dead because they, they essentially bleed out from either internal bleeding or external bleeding, or you hit a you hit a pretty important artery. Okay. That's the way I view it. I'm not sure if you're the same. Um, no, I usually just, um, like, if they're fighting something, 
um, that they do more than enough damage on, like if they reduce it to minus 10. Um, if something, basically, how do I put it this way? Things that have 40 health, um, if they put it to negative 10 at some point, then that thing is dead. Like they cannot actually make it unconscious. It is dead. Um, so if they go more damage than one quarter of the health into the negative wise, then it's dead. Um, okay. And that way they can't make the, the choice. It's just like, well, you were overly aggressive and this happened. Um, there were times where like, um, if they hit, uh, a critical hit, um, then they could do certain, depending on what they said they were doing, they would do certain things. Um, but they almost never were like, I strike for an artery or I go to hit him in the hamstring or like his Achilles tendon or any of that kind of stuff. Um, they were never okay. very specific. So I'd have to be like, okay, you critically hit this character and chop off his arm basically. And it takes half its health. It would just be like very, very specific like that. Oh yeah, that that's they will my players what they'll do is they'll say I want I'm going to attack this creature and they'll roll and while they're rolling I will actually base off of the outcome think of how this would play out based off of the roll. Yeah, yeah like I um, I would have my bugbear that's doing whirlwind attacks if he hit a critical with his whirlwind attack then it was just like you if it, depending on the enemy if it was zombies then it would be like your quarterstaff lops the head off of all three zombies that you were spinning into. Oh, yeah. So that's, like, I just was, like, sometimes it wasn't about just how much damage they were doing. It was just, like, okay, you critically hit this zombie, and it's clearly, like, you've you've basically bat the head off of it as if it's a baseball. Okay, yeah. So this this brings us into another thing that I, I also do differently as a DM, because, like, Critical hits, they are amazing things when they do happen. Mm -hmm. However, I the way I do critical hits is based slightly off of uh, three point. It's actually based off of three point five's thing entirely. It's um, you roll if you roll a natural twenty, then you get us. Then you have to roll to confirm the crit. Mm -hmm. Basically, if your second roll is a regular hit or it would get past their AC, then congratulations, you're doing double damage. With sneak attacks, normally it's just the, the damage die that doubles, but I double the entire sneak attack as well. Yeah. Because the book states that like these are supposed to be the next step above your normal human being. So I give the, I, I like to make them feel like they are that the big answer to the world. Yeah. Um, with... What is it? Um, that, that's what I do with critical hits. With critical failures, I do the same thing. If they roll a nat 1, roll to confirm the critical failure. If it's a miss, then, well, either some crazy thing happens, your sword goes flying out of your hands, or the, the you strike, but you don't hit the you don't hit the enemy with the, your, the strong, or with the sharp edge of your blade. You hit it with the side and it bends out of shape, so now your weapon is warped, <laughs> and you can't use it right now. Something like that. Like, but by doing it this way, it gives them a chance to either just miss or fumble or hit and strike an artery sort of mm -hmm. thing. Like, it, when it does happen, it's like, oh my gosh, this is that much more epic. In the situation where you roll a natural 20 and then follow it up with another natural 20, if you confirm the crit, the thing's instantly dead. Yeah. 
because at that point it's either it's triple damage and let's face it with what level you guys are anything you fight at this point it's just instantly dead but I also feel like this doing it this way I can do that with uh, NPCs and monsters and it gives them a fair advantage right that's one of the things that that's one of the things I migrated over from 3.5 to 5e because I liked how it seemed fair yeah I've got um, I mean like as I was saying I I roll fairly high in in terms of averages. Um, so I I got the characters got hit by critical hits a lot, and I just made it uh, the same for them as it was for the monsters. It was just like you just you dealt um, uh, twice the number of dice attacks for a critical hit. So if it was a, like a two d six attack, then they would do four d six instead. Um, and same with monsters back at them. If it was a, uh, I think they got critically hit by a, um, by a bugbear, one of the characters one time, and the bugbear is normally two d eight if it hits, and so they got hit for four d eight. Like that was just it was even across the board because I didn't want them to feel like they were that much stronger than all of the monsters they were fighting, because um, I had already given them. In a lot of cases, they've got, you know, extra, uh, like, plus one armors and weapons, or they've got lots more healing potions than is necessary, like, giving them other ways to be more powerful, but I wanted it to be the same for them as for monsters across the board for critical hits. I can dig that. I can dig it. So, yeah. That was Agatha's Lair, Coneyberry, Wyvern Tor that I covered. What did you do? Do you encounter Wyvern, Wyvern? If I can speak today. Um, did you deal with Wyvern Tor, or did they branch off and do that later? Uh, no, they did that one. Um, i trying to think. That one, that was the one that takes place in the kind of canyon. Um, yeah. And I had them do, I made it as if it was in like the bottom of a valley. Um but like very narrow valley. So they had to approach the cave um, single file or come at it from the slopes above. But I said that on the one side, it was all trees. So it was like good cover. And the other side, it was wide open. So um, easy to come down, like not, not difficult terrain, but also wide open. People could see you. So they had to pick and they sent, I think three of their four people went uh, single file up the, the road and the bugbear used um he's got like the illusion cantrip so he created ah. an illusion of himself right at the doorway and then the party members at the on the road were like 20 or 30 feet behind the thing so they called out to the cave and had um like a bunch of name calling and stuff trying to get the the characters or the monsters in there riled up and so they had one of them like rush out the door to punch what turned out to be the illusion and then stumbled. And that was when um, the other three party members, we have like a ranger was sitting um, just off of the valley floor in the trees. <clears throat> so on a, as long as he rolled, uh, I think it was like a five or more than he could shoot um, through the tree line without hindrance because he was just near the edge. And so he he used his um 
attack, and then I think one of the party members behind had a hand crossbow. So they basically, they wounded the thing uh, enough that they could deal with it, and they decided to let it go back into the cave and warn its friends. And they And the whole thing was that the rest of the monsters came out, and as the last one came out, um, the bugbear dropped down from one of the trees overhanging the entrance and did his surprise attack. So he, nice. Yeah, so he did the surprise attack on the last one, and then the party members had um, all of the other things lined up. So it was just like a, a walkthrough from front and back. And then the ogre was the last thing, and it was still in the cave. So they went in and dealt with the ogre. The way the party in, uh, dealt with Wyvern Tor was they branched off of the Tribor Trail and went through the canyon sort of mm -hmm. thing. And they encountered a few things, like mostly Sturges. I could not stop rolling Sturges. <laughs> and I tell you, after a while, I hated seeing Sturges. Yeah. But it's nice because they're small, they're tiny, they're, they're, they're essentially mosquitoes. And that's... Uh, those are... A, a, pest in, alone in modern day standards so yeah. it was nice seeing them deal with them but at the same time it was like I've got slots for magic missile here you go <laughs> they're dead they're gone right. bye yeah. and I know magic missile automatically hits but I like to give everything a chance to crit mm -hmm. so I will have the I will have whoever's casting it roll a d20 and if they roll a net 20 roll to confirm and Enjoy your enjoy your double damage, your double D force. Fair. Yeah. Um. But that's just because I'm, I'm me, and I like to be generous to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, with Wyvern Tor, after they got to a certain point, they walked up, and they 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 had a couple orcs standing outside, just keeping watches. Like, oh, you're in our area. You shouldn't be here. And they sent one person in to go and get reinforcements, and basically all he did was sound the alarm and let people let the other orcs know that, hey, get the ogre ready. We wanna... We got some... We got some trouble. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the this was also before they dealt with Agatha, and we didn't see the true potential of Harry's uh, di diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Harry is the wizard, of course. Yes. Um, so he sits, he tries to be diplomatic about it, everyone else is being a pain in the ass, and attacking, and throwing swords and spells, and it's like, gosh, damn it, and they started going through, working their way, they cleared out the, uh, Wyvern Tor, uh, the, the ogre started making its way down, and of course, the, the ogre's a large creature, he's breaking stalagmites, stalactites, the list goes on as he's running through, and because the party, as I mentioned, is over-leveled right now, they are—they just took out the ogre like it was nothing, and then it was like, okay, well, we need to, we need to change up our strategy a bit. So the orcs armed themselves up with crossbows and stuff, uh, like bows and such, and it was like, we're gonna, we're gonna ambush these guys, and then as they walk through, we'll, we'll peg them full of arrows, and then they'll. They'll drop, we'll take their loot, we'll use their better equipment, or their equipment that's better than ours. Like, they put together this whole elaborate scheme, and then I had to reward the players for this, because the, I had never seen them use some of the spells that they... They did use a majority of the spells that are on their spell lists. Mm -hmm. And their use of Minor Illusion was... The wizard had Minor Illusion, 
and the dwarf had minor illusion. Okay. So they cast minor illusion on the halfling to make him run into the brunt of it. So they fired arrows into the illusion. I was like, what the hell? Giving away their location. And then they threw another minor illusion of the halfling. And that one got pegged with arrows. Then they threw more minor... Then they kept... Like, every time the illusion got found out, they made another one, and they'd throw it in, and the halfling would make his way through. And they left one orc alive. (laughs) And it was like, what do you know? What are you guys doing here? Why are you here? And piss off. Yeah, I had my whole party did not take prisoners. (laughs) They said, fuck that. Well, like like I said, the wizard was trying to be very diplomatic, despite being the the town drunk. Mm But like, he did phenom- He did great things, and the orc ran off. They didn't encounter him again. But at least it's another hook if I need to bring him back for anything. Yep. Um, from there, again, old Alwell dealt with Hamunkost, and from Hamunkost to Agatha, the orcs that they encountered on their way to Agatha, they befriended. <laughs> And the orcs offered them, like, escort service, so, like, the party didn't have to deal with any pests or anything like that. Every time they encountered something, the orcs would deal with it, and then they would meet up every few hours, like, or at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, and it was like, we lost one of our, we lost one of our own today, and Harry would pull out a a bottle of orcish wine, and it was like, I've got a few of these, but let's dro- let's pour out a drink for your friends. And then they'd pour out some drinks, and they'd pass the bottle around. It's like, tradition is you drink from the same bottle. And it was like, one of the players, one of the players is a germaphobe, but their character isn't. And they and so this was a little bit of a conflict for them. It was like, because player wise, they didn't want to do yeah. it, but their character was like, I'm down for this. And so I was very proud of this player for overcoming that. So they passed down a bottle of orcish, passed around a bottle of orcish wine. They finished it off. They rested for the night, and it was like, "Here's some uh, gold to do the same thing you did yesterday." And instead of just deducting experience from them, I I let them keep like a small portion of the experience that the orcs would have gotten, and added that to the pool to split amongst the party. Yeah, because that's is one of the ways I could I was able to reward them for. Well, for for the wizard, in being drunk, his diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, I let um like when they encountered the dragon. For me, they didn't. Uh, they just they didn't drive it off yet. They just managed to to basically come up with a solution at the time, and so I gave them I think five hundred of the two thousand experience for that, and then they get more later when they deal with the dragon. But that's what I did. Same thing is like I would just parcel out experience if they didn't quite meet the objective, but they found a different way of circumventing it. And if the way they found to circumvent it was better than the way I thought they were going to resolve it, then hell yeah, here's some bonus. Yeah. But now we, but now the party is in Fandolin again, and. Uh, they had the orcs skin an owlbear. Okay. So then the half-orc barbarian could make a pelt, a pelted cape out of the owlbear fur. Mm-hmm. So they went to Frida to have it 
uh, sewn together and stitched and all that stuff to make it look good. So they spent a week in Fandolin just to get all this done. And after reporting all the different things to the different people that they had dealt with, uh, Wyvern Tor to the Town Master, the zombies and and Hammond Cost to Duran, Darren uh, gave his adventuring scale mail to the party and said, there's not a lot you can do with it, but or there's not a lot you can do with it, but here you go. This is the best I can do. I appreciate your help. I've been here ever since I took an arrow to the <laughs> knee because one of my players is a Skyrim player. Mm-hmm. Like, hardcore Skyrim player. So I tried to I tried to use the uh, Jarl voice for the characters because I tried to do the voice acting bit mm-hmm. too. Um, so... Here is my scale mail from when I was a wee adventurer like yourselves, but now I'm now that I've taken an arrow in the knee, I can't exactly do that anymore. <laughs> I appreciate your efforts, and that was. So they got a suit of armor, and uh, the the barbarian took it to the smithy and had it tempered to be able to have a cape so that's where the owlbear pelt came in Mm, okay so yeah i uh, gave her the a nice set of scale mail of plus one i think it was and from there they just rested up and the next module i'm running is uh the dragons of ice spire peak or something like that which takes place in the same exact area as the Lost Minds of Fandalin. Oh. Fandalin is the center po- is the center point for it. So the last session before Christmas, I had the three players that were able to show up to the session roll up some new characters for this one because I wanted to give them a chance to do a little bit of variety instead of just going, this is what we like, this is what we want to play sort of yeah. thing. Um so you mentioned in the beginning that it took you 29 years to uh, get into D&D. As someone who has been playing since 3.5, I was I would look at the book and I was like, rogues sound pretty interesting. I like rogues. I like being murder, hobo, steely, <laughs> McSteel son. So I rolled up a rogue and I fell in love with rogue ever since. Okay. The thing is, when I first started playing, I was, my DM told me, like, told me just, if I wanted to play rogue again, I could play rogue, and I didn't. I didn't want to branch from it. So every group that I played, I had a rogue, and then after after a few years, I had a group of friends that we played D anD D together um, on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So I rolled up an assassin, a three point five assassin, which is a prestige class, and then this character died because he did something stupid. He broke into the blacksmith's house. The blacksmith happened to be a vampire. Did not make it out very easily because I was stupid. But this DM made me switch to play something else, so I didn't just play rogue. So I rolled a ninja, which was based off of a monk. Okay. And then from there, I didn't get to ch- get the chance to play it, but I did roll up a cleric. Which, again, all fine and dandy. I enjoyed it, but I never, like, even though I never got to play it, I still enjoyed rolling the character, and it was like, well, too bad I can't play with this group anymore. It, the reason for it was just my, my schedule didn't line up with mm-hmm. it. But had I been 
put in a situation where I had to play something different every time. I couldn't just go back to Rogue. I would have much preferred that because it would have required me to expand my horizons. Yeah. Now I'm I'm still a diehard Rogue person, but I would put either a Warlock or a Wizard as my next choice of pick. Okay. I haven't. Uh, so I'm, I'm I've only ever played a. Oh. I played one session of D anD D before I've DM'd, and I was a level eight wizard. Um, for I mean, it was like a two or three hour session of D anD D. That's my only character experience, and I had no idea what I was doing. But after, um, after like DMing now, I know. I guess a, a lot more of like the background to a bunch of these characters and what I would want to play. So now I know I want to play um, like a, a ranger character, like a dual wielding ranger, just like Drizzt, the character. Ah, yes. Good old Drizzt. Yeah, because I read all of those books back when I was a teenager, like, I've read, I think, all of them at this point. So, I, I think I, there's 36 books now, 33 to 36. Yeah. So, like, I was not unfamiliar with the D and D lore and universe and stuff, and some of its characters. But now, there's just sort of like a deeper investment in them because of DMing. I love the Drizzt books. I read them when I was younger, and I forgot about like I I never forgot about them. They were always like in the back burner of my mind, but I forgot the story to mm -hmm. them. All I remembered was Drizzt, and that was it. So I, with my Audible subscription, I, I stockpiled the credits, mm -hmm. and I buy, I get the books with my credits. Nice. And then whenever I'm on a road trip or something, like I'm driving, I'm driving by myself, mm -hmm. I'll throw on a book and I'll just listen to that. And then if I like the thing with driving is it takes forever, and I'm, and I enjoy sitting in the car. It's just I don't like sitting in silence, yeah. and I can only listen to music for so long before it's like I got to take a break. Oh, here's an audio book that I can listen to. Yeah, that's fair. But um, yeah, that's what I've been using my what I've been using my Audible credits for. The only problem is after I've been driving for a while, I start to forget what's being said in the book, mm -hmm. which is why when I'm listening to audiobooks, I'll actually grab a physical copy of the book and follow along with it when I'm not driving. Right. But that's just me. Um, but yeah, Drizzt was a huge inspiration to me getting into D and D and. I am very happy to have had that be my introduction. Yeah, it's a good character. I mean, there's there's a point where it gets pretty dark, which I didn't appreciate as much. Um, but it was still, like, it's worth... Well, he is a dark elf, but well, I'm going yeah. to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, like, um, in terms of character creation, I have never actually created my own D&D &D character but I enjoy the DMing so much that I don't know if I ever really want to play my own character. I would rather be the driving force behind everybody else's imagination. I know the feeling. I definitely know the feeling. Um, but yeah, so now we've already gone over everything I've done in three point or in part three with uh, my group. Mm -hmm. So now this is more or less just from here on out, it's going to be you're, tell, you're telling me, us, the viewers, and myself about your experience and what you've done with it um and from there i guess i'm just essentially listening in awe and throwing and i might throw in a 
two cents as to what I'm planning to do here and there. Okay. Um, well. So let's start with Thunder Tree. Or actually, I've got more information read right up on Cragmaw Castle because that is where. That is on the way to Thunder Tree if you're looking at the map. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also where the party has been like, we should probably go check out this place because this is where Gundren was told to be. Yeah. Or this is where we're told Gundren is. Um, so we went from Thunder Tree, uh, where they, uh, I guess, dealt with is probably the correct term. They dealt with the dragon, uh, moved on from there <clears throat> with the idea that they were going to go clear Cragmaw Castle um, right after that. And we would basically do one major encounter a week or a couple of small ones because most of the guys can only play for about six hours at a time. And ah. so we would um, we would do like Cragmaw Castle would be like one sitting. Um, the uh, Thunder Tree was one sitting. Um, and like I say, the some of the party members jumped in and out depending on like what their availability was and stuff. And so we did Cragmaw Castle. Um, my party was not down with negotiations <laughs> at all. They, they said, <laughs> "Nope, we're here to clear it out," and that's that because they wanted to uh, they wanted to clear it for the dragon. And the yeah uh, the overarching. Uh, like they're, the characters have this overarching sense of like good and evil as well. Most of them were either uh, lawful good or chaotic or uh, neutral good. Um, we had very little like chaos in the party, and I think it was it was okay that way. Um, but there was a lot of you know like good person decision making <laughs> throughout this whole process, except for the time or two where they're like no we want to kill this person um so in Cragmaw, they snuck around they took different entrances um they used a lot of sneaky tactics but ultimately um and you find sildar's gear here if you if you use the the book the way it's yeah. supposed to be yeah <laughs> um, not a big deal when you when you read ahead properly yeah and like sildar's gear played no real part in any a uh, bit of the storyline I found. It was just like he was grateful and I made up some stuff for Sildar giving them something. Um, he let them keep the chain mail but took his sword and he gave them experience, I think. Um, but you find Gundren Rockseeker, um, the, uh, one of the brothers, the guy who hired you at yeah, the start. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> so they they did all this stuff they found where Gundren was. Um, one person got tipped off to the doppelganger, but he wasn't. Uh, there, uh, or there is a doppelganger. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Okay, I'm, uh, I've I've read Cragmaw Castle so many times already. It's just like, god damn, I need to read Thunder Tree. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they deal with all that, but the character can't make it back to the party in time to tell about the doppelganger, and uh, and Gundren dies. Um, the doppelganger while they're dealing with the boss um, Gundren is killed by the doppelganger and that has the effect of I mean it was pretty for some of them it was pretty devastating <laughs> they were like no way like we need him <laughs> and uh, and I'm like well you don't really need him he was just you know 
like your uh he was the I the think, boss basically <laughs> i think this will i think the doppelganger like, because i'm reading it here as we speak mm-hmm. right like uh the doppelganger disguise is uh Grawl is attended by Sonarl, a wolf with 18 hit points, and a doppelganger disguised as a female mm-hmm. drow. I think that's going to be a pretty interesting plot twist for the party, especially when the barbarian runs up and swings Talon, and it's got a plus five against <laughs> drow because of an enchantment I gave it. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden it's like, that's not dealing an extra five damage. What the yeah. fuck? Like, what the hell? Yeah, my, my party, um, they were tipped off to the doppelganger. I can't remember how I did it, but... They had a, they had that, or the one guy had the tip off, and so, as they're trying to save Gundren, he dies. Um, their contract becomes null and void, but they take the stuff to Sildar, and that was sort of their, uh, not bonus, but like the, um, how do you say it? It was like their uh, the consolation prize, sort of. Um, that they got something out of Sildar for for all of that. And they go back to the dragon after Kragma. Kragma was actually fairly, um, I don't know, uh, not uninspiring, but like it wasn't a super crazy thing for all of them. They've dealt with it fairly systematically because they were sneaking through and taking their time and doing things um, smart. So there was nothing mm-hmm. detrimental to them there. So they go deal with that, and then they go back to the dragon. And it gets interesting with the dragon, <laughs> because they had said, okay, we're going to clear Kragma, um, give you this place, um, we leave you all of, the, uh, all of the gold and stuff, right? And they didn't leave it the gold. They left it um, basically nothing. <laughs> like some of the paintings <laughs> and stuff they left. Um, but they they decided just before um, talking to the dragon that they were going to pool together 200 gold and drop it at the dragon's feet and say, this is what we brought from there, which was about what they got. So they dropped the gold. The dragon says, how do I know you're not lying to me um, about the the amount, right? So they have to persuade... Please tell me one of your players responded with, well, why don't you roll an insight check? <laughs> no. <laughs> They, uh, they just were like, well, this is what it is. And if you don't believe us, then we'll fight you. Right. And uh, so that's that's kind of how that went. And the dragon is really not having it. He's just like, this is, this is some bullshit. Right. And yeah. So finally, the dragon's like, look, last chance, you know, you you uh, you either give me a reason to leave or you're going to have to fight. And somebody, I think uh, we had one guy, he was an artificer gnome. And he says, look, why don't we do this? Like, how is the dragon? Are we talking unearthed arcana artificer gnome or uh, the new Eberron? An arcana, I believe. Um, He just basically pulled up up an old character that he had and put it back to level three. Um, He was just a sit-in with us. And... So he he says, look, the dragon can't carry all of its treasure with it, right? Like, that's probably why it won't leave. So we roll and find out that, yes, that's why the dragon won't leave, because it can't carry all this hoard that it's been sitting on. Here's, here's what to do. Take two, th- two lengths of 50-foot rope, uh, line a large tarp with it, essentially, tie it off and mage hand drag the thing (laughs) yeah so their solution though was to um 
to build a box with uh, essentially like a bar on the top so that the dragon could hold it in its claws. And, uh, and so that's what they did. They convinced the dragon that they would uh, build this box and shovel all the, the hoard of treasure into the box for it, and it could lift this box off and carry it to Kragmaw. <laughs> so <laughs> the dragon agrees, okay, that's fine, let's do that. It takes them, I think it was like a day and a half to build. So they do the build, and the dragon says, okay, see you later, right? And leaves with the stuff. And they're like, okay, well, is this for real? Like, did we actually do this? And, uh, and they weren't, they didn't believe it for the most, for, for a while. So um, then they talk to the druid, and the druid shows them the way to the uh, Wave Echo Cave, because he's like the only one who knows. And good old radar. And that was it. The the dragon took off. They know it's at uh, Kragmon, and they want to deal with it later. <laughs> they want to go back <laughs> and fight it. And I'm like, oh, you guys, <laughs> you, just, you are setting up for a bad time. But they want to try it, so. That's uh, that's a pretty like, that's what I like about this adventure is like they leave so many possible loose ends that you could deal with later on, mm-hmm. or you could deal with them now, kill everything, and it's like, well, now you've got nothing to look back to this adventure and be like, oh, I remember this person from this adventure. Oh, yeah, and they want to they want to go back to the dragon because now they have, um, Dragon Guard is the it's like a plate mail that they got from Wave Echo Cave. Oh yeah, and it uh, protects against uh, dragon breath weapons. It has uh, it's either resistance or immunity. I can't remember which. Hot damn! Yeah, and it's actually in the book. That's so that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So then, yeah, so they dealt with the dragon um, with, and they vowed to like go back later and hunt it down, and uh, and then from there they went to Wave Echo Cave. And Wave Echo, they found the second Rockseeker brother was dead in the entrance. And I was actually going to propose we take another one, uh, another five-minute break, per se, just because well, we've been here for now another hour. <laughs> and I need some water myself. Okay. Um, but yeah, so one more break, and then we'll go into Wave Echo Cave, take some points, and uh, then we'll get, uh, get on to our final yeah, thoughts. sounds good. So, welcome back. It is I, Desmo Flynn, streamer extraordinaire, not really extraordinaire, but amateur enough to make it. And you know the rule, fake it till you make it. I am joined with my guest of honor, Cubos of Cubos Games, here on Twitch and also on Twitter. Hola. How are you doing, my dude? Good. I have, um, I have about 20 minutes and then I have to go, so... Have about twenty minutes and then you have to go. I got dinner with the fam. Okay. So. Dinner with the fam. Dinner with the fam. Well, luckily I haven't run Wave Echo Cave yet, so this will all be you and all your wise, wise wisdom. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think where we left so, off just before break was was that they had just entered Wave Echo Cave. My party. Yeah. Um. So my party and to. I, I haven't actually given any background on my party. We have a, a, monk, a bugbear monk um, who consistently in conversation with NPCs says, I'm eight feet tall, motherfucker. 
um, as a way of either convincing or intimidating or persuading. <laughs> so, um, or also trying to convince me as the DM, like, could you do that? Well, I'm eight feet tall, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you could then. <laughs> um, we have a dragonborn paladin um, who took, I can't remember exactly what, uh, what stone or what metal, but they can breathe fire and they're immune to fire. Uh, we have a tiefling uh, ranger, so also immune to fire. Um, and he is primarily bow focused, um, longbow specifically. And then we have a tortle druid who sits in quite often. Ah. And he's fairly powerful, but he's about 450 pounds. And uh, he took the Razorback class, so he can he can drop into his shell and become immobile, but he gains plus two AC, and because he has the Razorback, um, anything that touches his shell uh, takes, like, 1d4 slashing damage, I think. And so the party has figured out that if they, if they shell the Druid, the Bugbear Monk, being eight feet tall and able to lift and carry things as if he were one size larger <laughs> can throw the turtle shell as if this is Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, depending on the, depending on what their roles are, what their angles of attack are. Uh, yeah. Yeet. <laughs> and, uh, and how, whether or not it hits, it can sometimes the turtle. Yeet. Yeah. Turtle. Yeet. Um, he can sometimes bounce to other monsters. So, um, We've had it where like two monsters are side by side and the turtle is big enough to hit both. Or if it kills one monster, it bounces to the next one. So anyway, these are the kinds of shenanigans that they like to do. And then we've had uh, last night we had a warlock jump in um, just for because he was in town. Uh, we have a wizard who sits in occasionally, but like the core is those first four. And so anyway, they... Um, they come to Wave Echo Cave. Finally, this is the this is the sitting that took us twelve hours yesterday. It was just the the final piece of the dragon and all of Wave Echo Cave. And so, they went through fairly systematically. Um, the The thing with them is that they are very cautious, so they sneak around a lot. Especially the monk, mm. because he's got um, I forget what it's called exactly. Um, but he can, he gets like plus 10 to his stealth and uh, is completely silent. So he basically passes any stealth check that I give him. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So he, he pawed around, he looked around. Um, they, they went through all the corridors in the first area, like area two on the map. For those who've played it, will have the map. Um, they didn't really find anything, so then they headed south, and their idea was to head left first, and then circle all the way back and around um, up to the final northwest corner, because they found the map of the Wave Echo Cave in Cragmaw Castle. Um, it was <laughs> under the mattress of the boss. So they had the map, they knew what they were doing, <clears throat> and yeah, they basically cleared it room by room, but they didn't know what was in each room. They just had a rough sketch of all of it. So they cleared, I would say, the bottom northwest third 
and then they took a rest and they had to barricade themselves in a room and um, depending on the rest they took uh, long rests we played as two to four hours or sorry short rests were two to four hours and long rests were um, eight hours plus so okay and they had you know I, I went with the I went with the stereotypical uh, one hour for the short rest of just doing remedial shit like they could I gave them the entire time they were walking back from Wyvern Tor, for example, back to Phandalin. Uh, I gave them, as they weren't the ones dealing with the encounters, it was the orcs that were dealing with the encounters. I gave them just walking there, uh, their, uh, their short rests, because mm. they weren't doing anything remedial. They, were, or they weren't doing anything, like, focus-heavy. Yeah. They were just going up for a leisurely stroll. Right. Yeah, I, and, I had them... Um, they had to take it two hours, so... If they were resting in a dungeon for a short time, then uh, they would have to roll. Like I'd roll a d20, and if uh, if anything on a seventeen plus seventeen to twenty was the roll, then they'd have to encounter something, and their short rest was interrupted. Um, so that was the. Um, Sorry, I'm just gonna respond to my yeah. mod here. I think I, I'm gonna let him know that Cito's being unruly. Um, so that was our, our sort of agreement throughout the whole thing was that if you were going to have a short rest, it was a two hour rest. That was time enough to like, um, copy anything from a spell book or take all your potions and have a nap. Um, just general things like that. So yeah, they were battered up enough that they had to take a long rest. They used up enough of their spell slots and stuff. Um, they wanted to take a long rest and there hadn't been anything, um, so loud that anything else would have been heard elsewhere in the cave so the whole thing was they barricaded themselves in um, one of the southern rooms and <laughs> they said okay let's take a long rest so i rolled a d20 for every two hours they were in there so the first two hours nothing second two hours nothing third two hours nothing and then out between hours um, six and eight <laughs> they encountered two bugbears so they had all their short rest stuff, um, but their long rest was interrupted. And so a bunch of them still didn't have their spell slots. They had to deal with the two bugbears at the doorway, which uh, our bugbear had thought ahead and put a trap down so that they would know what was going to happen. Um, so the bugbear was trapped. They dealt with those two and they said, okay, we still need a long rest. <laughs> like None of us can do anything. So they went and cleared another room um, and then barricaded in that room and used the bugbear's illusion cantrip. And okay. they made it look like the, as long as he was, uh, it's not even a concentration spell. Um, so it was just as long as he cast it, um, then he, it would just last for their, for their, uh, for their rest. Um, but enough perception could get through the illusion. So, what we did was they he made the illusion on the door to make it look like it was just the rest of the stone wall. Uh, they put a trap inside the door, and if a wandering monster passed by the doorway, they'd have to take a perception check based on their intelligence. Um, and so, same thing. First two hours, nothing. Second two hours, nothing. Third two hours, nothing. Between hours six and eight on the second long rest, <laughs> a couple of sturges fly by. And, uh, sorry, just give me one sec. My wife just walked in. 
In the meantime, I'll get quickly caught up on chat. How's it going, Slayer? Sorry, I haven't been paying attention to you guys. Normally this is a... Uh, normally uh, in other situations where I'm playing games, I'm more interacting with chat, but in this case here where it's just the podcast, it's just me and Cubos here. Um, forgive me for not paying too much attention to you, but I, I am reading and I am I'm enjoying the words that are thrown through. It's a good laugh here and there. Slayer, Pengu, and if... Jingle is still here. There we go. Um, how are you guys doing? Sorry, I'm just checking about dinner. Ah. Um, so, where was I here? So let's fast track Wave Echo. I know that, like I said, I'm still in the process of getting there. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry. So anyway, they, they long rested. They finally made it. The, the Sturges were not smart enough to detect so they long rested. Um, we went through a whole bunch of the rest of the area. Um, we came to the Bellows, um, room 12. Room 12. Ooh, the smelter. Cabinet. Yeah, and that has the flaming skull in there. Uh, they completely underestimated the flaming skull. <laughs> oh, yeah. For a tiny, it's a tiny fucker, but it's deadly. Yeah. They, uh, they were all grouped up and a fireball hit them. <laughs> <laughs> and they were very lucky to have two characters immune to fire. <laughs> oh, we got another... Oh, we got a subscription! Oh, I have to actually mask up for this. Damn. <laughs> Give her. Give me one second. Oh, I haven't worn the mask in months. It's probably, like, too small for my head now. Holy shit! My hair is going to be nothing of looking worthy, and of course, the stream room is also currently a bit of a state, but Slayer, you get a... Thank you, my dude. I make exceptions for subscriptions. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, they they did underestimate the thing. Um, they did kill it. Um, but that was a, a very defining moment for the party in underestimation. Because <laughs> they thought, <laughs> oh, that thing's not that big. Um, anyway, they... Oh, yeah, no, it, it never is that big. It's always the tiny things, like... Uh... Like, yeah, it's always the flame skulls or the uh, jeweled ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That always end, end up being the worst thing. Yeah, and they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they underestimated it. Um, Mo, um, I think, I forget the name of the character here. Uh, Momanx or Momusk or something? Mormesk the Wraith as well. Um, when you come to him. Mormesk the Wraith is in room 14. Yeah, right? when you come to him, um, I had, I had the... The Turtle Druid in my party is notorious for going against the grain of what the party wants. Um, <laughs> and he's also got Thunder Wave. And, oh, good old Thunder Wave. Yeah, but the Wraith is immune or has resistance to basically everything the Druid has, including Thunder Wave. And they were all worried that Thunder Wave was going to alert the rest of the cave because it's an Echo Cave. So mm -hmm. everything that they had done to date was quiet enough 
um, to not alert other large sections of the cave. He decided to go in, thunder, thunder wave the wraith, and uh, immediately <laughs> got attacked by the wraith for 23 <laughs> of his 27 health. Um, oh, shit. And it has the withering touch, so his maximum hit points are now four. Um, it went. I decided to make it go through the wall and talk to the rest of the party members and say, your friend is an idiot. <laughs> um, do you want to like make this deal instead? And they all decided, nope. We uh, we don't deal with terrorists is what one of them said. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists. And uh, and he immediately got hit for twenty three of his twenty seven life points. <laughs> his maximum is now four. Um, Withering damage maximum four now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then a couple of the other characters have um, like force damage. Um, we had the warlock with with eldritch blast. Uh, we had one guy with a magical weapon, so they dealt with him. But they had to take a long rest from there, so they had to do the same thing. They they barred the door, they put the trap, they used the illusion, managed to get through a long rest. So they've now spent over a day in this in this wave echo cave. But the thunder wave has alerted the rest of the area to them. So in their long rest, yeah. the the roll was uh, instead of seventeen to twenty for an encounter, it was now twelve to twenty. <laughs> and they got very lucky that nothing found them. Um, so anyway, they finally deal with, uh, they, they go to Neznar, um, just to fast track this. They go to Neznar, the, the black spider. Um, yep. they knew where he was because of the, uh, the spectator that's, I forget where the spectator is. Uh, the spectator, I believe was area 15. 15? Yeah. 15. Yeah. Area 15. Yeah. So they, they actually banished the spectator. Um, they made it believe that its job was done. Oh. And yeah, they they managed to persuade it, I think, that its job was finished, um, and they banished it. But um, because they could speak with it telepathically, um, one of the characters asked where Neznar was. So they, they knew that Neznar was in room 19, and they go to deal with Neznar. They didn't know about the bugbears or the spiders, though. So they, they all rushed into the room to deal with Neznar. The bugbears take a stance on either side of them. And on the next round, all the spiders dropped from the ceiling. And um, in room 18, there were three bugbears and a doppelganger, which the next round came into the room from the northeast passage. So they just continuously had to deal with more and more. And it was like just this battle of attrition. Like, honestly, it was it was hit for hit, miss for miss, hit for hit. Um, and Neznar managed to basically barricade himself in the back northeast corner um, near the pillar and just keep throwing spells out and illusions and other things. Um, finally, everything but Neznar is wiped out, but he's cast darkness and invisibility. So he's in the bubble of darkness. He is invisible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dark elves get the yeah. fancy shenanigans. Yeah, and he finally, after everything else is dead, he finally says, Adventurers, why have you even come here? Right? And he starts talking to them about their motivations. And uh, a side note <laughs> most of the party had been actually <laughs> drinking in real life for the last hour and a half heavily um, <laughs> this is you know hour 10 to 12 <laughs> exactly yeah and uh and so anyway a couple of the members they're like ah oh, just kill him and the the one guy who was not inebriated said look we don't know where he is like for every move we make he's going to make a move as well he's invisible none of us can perceive where he is so they negotiated 
Mesnar actually makes it out with his life in our version. Um, he laid his um, his spider staff down on the feet of our warlock and made a made a break for it and got away um, using invisibility. And they find the brother, the third brother, in room twenty. Nundra. Yeah. yeah. And complete the quest, essentially. But the black spider is somewhere. But I made the black spider's motivations um, in line with drow motivations, male drow motivations. Um, he's trying to use Wave Echo Cave to create enough magical items to outfit an army to overthrow the matriarchy in the Underdark. So that was his motivation. And that's why he needed Wave Echo Cave. It wasn't about money or power or fame or any of these other things. He wanted to overthrow the matriarchy. It was, it was basically whatever the house, is, the main house is in Menzo Barons on. He wants to take over. Yeah, that he wanted to overthrow it. So, so that actually rang uh, like for those other party members who have read the Drizzt series, they were like, "Oh, the, okay, 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 we get it, but we can't let you go." <laughs> but they finally negotiated and let Nesnar go interesting yeah. I'm, I'm i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna take that i'm gonna take that motivation yeah it's a, just, I, so you're it was it just like <laughs> honestly that was a one of those like on the spot motivation things i was like oh that needs to happen <laughs> oh yeah and again it works into like one of the, it works into that little bit of uh it's a loose end that can tie into another campaign a homebrew campaign of yours or another campaign yeah um my plan like in my case oh go ahead Go ahead. You first. Uh, my, just my plan with Nesnar in the future, knowing that he got away, is that he will actually seek out the party somewhere around level f when they hit like level fifteen. I'm hoping sort of after the Tyranny of Dragons campaign, um, if they complete that campaign with a win, then Nesnar will find them and ask for their help in taking the Underdark. And if they lose, then Nesnar will uh, come to them as a helping hand with forces from the underdark nice um yeah no uh, like i said this is one of those this module is, is like from what i from hearing your experience and from my own it's an excellent tool for dms who want to get into dming and also for players who don't know about or know about dnd but they haven't had a chance to play it but they want to try out a session or two like, this module is amazing for just that. Yeah, I agree. Um, definitely, my only my only real complaint is, like, there's a lot of side stuff to do. And if you, in, in my situation where I'm new to 5e and I'm trying to figure out, like, what works, what doesn't work, that sort of thing. It's like, you can very quickly over-level your players and you don't understand how or you don't know what you did at first and you need to fix it before it gets out of hand yeah um and it i found it does have a oh go ahead. sorry i found that what i was doing with the items each week was at the miners exchange each week the the owner would bring in one magical item and one potion from the dm lists uh or from the dungeon master's handbook list um, I made sure that they weren't super powerful, um, just helpful. But I think that if you feel like you're, oh, sorry, the dog's here. The, uh, oh, I feel like if you get to a point where your, your party is overpowered, you might have to finish this starter campaign and then have them like, um, 
board a ship for somewhere and they end up washing it the, they have a shipwreck and wash up on shore with very little of their gear so they have to start with almost nothing like it's it's got to be something to basically de-level oh, where yeah. they're at oh yeah and like i said i these characters are so far just for the starter set if my players want to come back to these characters later on in a campaign that requires like a little bit of a higher level then it's doable yeah. um for my next campaign, we're do, we're gonna run the dragons of ice by the dragon of ice ice by our pink mm -hmm. peak, I think it is, and uh, because it takes place in the same area as Fandolin, like like because it, Fandolin is the central hub for it, I had the three players who were able to show up before Christmas roll out some new characters, and this is like these are gonna be the characters you're gonna run this next module with, and I put them in the area because they haven't left for Thunder Tree or the other place yet. But for now, at least we have them in the same area. They are working alongside, but doing something completely different. Mm -hmm. And I think um, my party is actually going to stick with their same characters. Um, I feel like they're actually all invested in their characters, and they want to see them all get to level twenty at this point. So they're gonna they're gonna head from Fendalen, and they've got two choices because I've got the books now. They can either go take the Saltmarsh campaign or they can do the Tyranny of Dragons. And the Saltmarsh campaign uses experience points, just like the starter book here. But the Tyranny of Dragons has a railroad system or a, a plateau system. So when you finish a certain objective, you level up. You just automatically level up. There's no experience involved. Um, so over two books, you gain 15 levels. Um, oh, yeah. So if we use the first book, they won't gain a level until we surpass the level that they're at. They'll probably play through about half the book, and then they'll finally start to level again. So it's it's cool that they're invested in their characters, but it makes it hard to go back to other campaigns where they're not going to get levels out of it. Interesting. I'll, I'll take note of that, because... Uh... I'm guessing Tyranny of Dragons also runs into the same uh, same area as well. And here's why I believe that. Because the Tyranny of Dragons miniature blind box sets, mm -hmm. all of the miniatures that you pull from there also pull for the starter set as well. Oh, okay. Example, the Red Wizard, uh, or Hammond Cost, you can pull a Red Wizard miniature from the Tyranny of Dragons yeah. set. Uh, I pulled a green dragon even, and it's like, what the fuck? There's Venom Fang if I need yeah. it. Um, and there's a few other things that I pulled as well that work really well. Like there's orcs, of course. So, like all of the miniatures that I've pulled so far from the Tyranny of Dragons blind box miniature sets work very well for the starter set, yeah. and that's why I think it ties in really well. Yeah, and the um, just in looking at the tyranny of dragons books a lot of the same things that happen in the lost mind of fendalver um like with certain interaction or certain um encounters is very much the same as the first book of tyranny of dragons but the the difference is that the the minds of fandalver or fandalvar is um very friendly to a starting party um, and has very little negative consequence 
for your party if something goes wrong. Uh, Whereas Tyranny of Dragons might have a lot more consequence for certain Yeah, I don't know if you've read the actual conclusion to winning or losing that campaign, but it has... Uh, Starter set or Tyranny of Dragons? The Tyranny set. I have not read anything about it yet. Okay, so the, the... the, the gist of it without any spoilers is that if you lose the campaign, it has some very, very, very serious consequences for the characters um, and the world around oh, yeah. them. And if you win the campaign, there are still some negative consequences out of that because there are um, lasting impressions and certain people that are never dealt with. So they're still out in the open. So it's very much... Uh, uh, consequence-driven storyline, whereas Fendelvar is very much uh, more friendly to a starting party. Mm-hmm. But they do encounter a lot of the same things, like red wizards and obviously dragons and dragon cultists, and it's it. Of course, yeah. The starting campaign touches on a lot of the things I think that you will find in other campaigns, which is really cool. Interesting. On that note, how would you rate The Lost Minds of Fandalver on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I would give it like a probably an 8. A solid 8. I feel like it has um, the perfect amount of uh, information for a starting DM. It has the perfect amount of uh, adventuring for starting adventurers. Uh, it's got the right amount of like randomly keyed adventures if you choose to take them we didn't do a lot of wandering monsters or anything it was just travel to and from um oh yeah it's got just about the right amount of like bosses and big things to fight uh where i think it lacks is in consequence for the characters other than death um they don't really touch on like um very much politics or religion or characters uh having consequences for their actions in town or anything that's up to the dm which i think is good but it would have been nice to know that those consequences can happen as a starting dm Mm -hmm. um because it's not very uh defined in the book for a new dm um but i do like that there's things like it says like role-playing nesnar um even though he intends to kill the characters nesnar is curious about them so it gives you these these tips and hints and things that you might want to do as a dm oh yeah um yeah i think i think it's an eight out of ten for me because it's it's the perfect way to start into D, but it's even better if you have an experienced dm yeah so far from what i've played of it like i, I won't know until i finish it with my group but um i i definitely say so far from what i've read of it and what i've looked into i'd probably sit with you there as well 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything then, that they could have done better in a book this size except for like I say maybe a little more consequence for the characters they may, they might have to think more about what their actions actually entail yeah yeah that's all there is to it really like it's it's got it doesn't go too much into consequence. In fact, you mentioned before in a previous conversation we had, not on the podcast, uh, that you had, or even you did mention it actually, but you had 
them go deal with one of the side quests from part three and then come back and then all of a sudden Thel Dendrar's gone and you find out later on he's dead and it's like, oh, clearly these guys are the guys who are killing these fuckers. Mm-hmm. Like, they, we're gone. They, they feel like they've got, or they've got no one to protect them so the Red Brands kill people. Like, this is, like, that was something that I, like, that, had I known that was an option, I might have gone with that aspect of it instead of just killing them off. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I ended up actually accidentally skipping the death of um, of Dendrar, and then later on having to explain why he was in the canyon where the Nothic was. Yeah, and it wasn't a big deal or anything, but it was just like, I think the the players in my party felt like it was a consequence of not dealing with the red brands right away, which is what I wanted them to feel. So. And I must say that is that was really well done. Like, hands down, really well done. I think, like, that's why I say it. I think I think I'll be a DM forever. I, always a DM and never a player. <laughs> it's just because, like, it's too too much fun being the driving force behind people's imagination. Oh, yeah. On that note, uh... Thanks for coming on. This has been a blast and a half. Hey, no worries, man. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, anytime. Like, what what are you running next? Uh, go go to Salt Marsh, right? Or are you gonna switch that up for Tyranny of Dragons? I I've left the choice up to the regular party, and they haven't come back to me yet. But I'm hoping that they pick the Ghosts of Salt Marsh first, and really get a sense for the Sword Coast and the marshes and more area and get more and more invested in the world and then we'll go and play the tyranny of dragons afterwards and i can scale the low-end stuff back to their characters because i want them to play for like another two months get more invested and then we then we play a really um consequence-based campaign where their choices are going to shape the world around them Uh, when you get around to running the Tales from the Yawning Portal. When you get around to doing that again. Um, or when you do get around to running Tales of the Yawning Portal, I would love to have you back on to talk about Mm -hmm. that. Um, and anytime I, I'm, I'm hoping to keep this up as like a December thing for D&D December. Uh, again, thank you for coming on. If you wanted to tell the viewers we have, if you like where to, where to find you, like, promo yourself <laughs> um yeah so it's just twitch.tv slash cubos c-u-b-o-s um and cubos games on twitter um that's pretty much the two platforms i use i have a discord as well um it can be found on my twitch page uh, there is a 24 hour a day link there um i do stream as a variety streamer a, a whole variety of games although i've taken more and more to story-based games lately because it's really nice to be able to just play a storyline and talk to people at the same time. Uh, we put a an art print on the wall behind myself for every game that we complete. Currently, there are two with a third one on the way already. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And then I DM in my spare time. Um, I work as a construction road construction foreman in northern Canada. So for six months a year, I work 80-hour weeks. And for the other half of the year, I'm either laid off or I go down to 30-hour weeks working in an office, which gives me all the time in the world to do stuff like this. (laughs) 
Awesome. And then, yeah, so, again, thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll just throw some announcement things that I'm going to remove and post. But, again, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast. And uh, for sure, we'll see you next time. And we'll, we'll definitely see you around. Yeah, no doubt, man. Expect some raids when I go live again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I have to jump out of the chat so I can go for dinner. But I'm going to let you close. For sure. Yeah. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. And again, thank you very much. No worries at all. Cubos, everybody. <laughs> Later. Cause you're not lonely for the run now, for the run now. So good.